Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Brett Apley. We're going to be talking UFC 275, Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prohaska. And Brett, it's going down this Saturday night, live in Singapore, at the Singapore Indoor Indoor Stadium. We got the undisputed light heavyweight champion, Glover Teixeira, the man with the most submissions in UFC light heavyweight history, taking on a guy in Yuri Prohaska, who, I mean, when you talk about finishes, I mean, this guy's got 28 wins and 27 finishes. It's minus 500 not to go the distance. I have a feeling this one ain't going five rounds, Brett. What's up, Dan? It's great to talk to you, man. You're uh, one of my favorites in the industry. Absolutely can't wait to uh, chat UFC 275 with you. God, it, there, there's so many good uh, fights on this slate, like you mentioned, to share Petroska at the top of the card. And I agree. I, I don't think we're going to be needing scorecards for that one. But uh, hey, it's great to see you. And um, very curious to hear your opinions on, on some of these matchups. Well, let's get right down to business, my man, because first up in the main event, we got the undisputed reigning defending light heavyweight champion Glover Teixeira, 42 years old. I mean, what a badass. The only guy who won a belt at a later age was the great Randy Couture, who actually won it, I believe, 45, 46 years old. Glover Teixeira is 33 and 7, taking out Yuri Prohaska from the Czech Republic, Prague Zone, who's 28, 3 and 1. Currently, they got it. Yuri Prohaska, this is the interesting part, minus 210. The comeback on Glover Teixeira is plus 175. So obviously a lot of people are going to see some value on those odds at, on Glover Teixeira. And Brett, I mean, I feel like all the breakdowns I've been hearing are so black and white. Oh, if it stays standing, Yuri's going to knock him out. If it goes to the ground, uh, Glover's going to win there. And it's like, I don't think it's that simple, man. I mean, I think there's cases where Glover might take him down now. What if he takes him down and he can't pass? What if he takes him down and he remains in the full guard of Yuri? What if he, what if he takes him down and he can't pass half guard? Then what? Is he going to automatically win then? And then on the other side of things, I mean, you've seen Glover go out there and knock plenty of people out. You've seen Yuri fights with his hands down. You've seen him get rocked. You've seen him get knocked out too. So I don't think it's as black and white as people are making it, Brett. I think it's black and white from a very macro perspective where Petroska wants to keep this fight standing. Clearly he's going to have a, a he, he's a, I mean, he's a very dangerous boxer, someone who can inflict damage against an opponent and Teixeira who has been hurt many times over the years. I mean, he's on an impressive six fight win streak, but like even on this win streak, he's faced adversity. He's been knocked down a couple of times, you know, prior to that the KO against Gustafson, the KO against, rumble and like you said he's 42 years old he's not as fast as he used to be and it just the way that prochaska is finishing fights it just it's very easy to look at those results and just say wow if he lands a good shot on tashara tashara is probably getting hurt and he's probably not getting up this time so i think from a macro perspective thinking prochaska by ko or on the flip side tashara by submission is, is probably the correct approach because Teixeira, while he can, I think, compete with Petroska on the feet, he's going to have a better chance to win this fight on top. Obviously, he's had a lot of wrestling success in his recent stretch. He's now averaging more than two takedowns per 15 minutes, just proving he's one of the best grapplers in this division, even at this age. A really solid submission grappler. What And, and to your point, though, like... While Prochaska is offensively potent and 
his finishes are phenomenal. Even on the feet, I mean, he is a defensive liability. He's been hurt against Ozdemir. He was hurt against Dominic Reyes, and he's been knocked out prior to the UFC as well. And, and, and watching the sequences, if you ignore the result, it in this light heavyweight division where one punch can change the dynamic of the fight, it just feels like eventually, hands down style, aggression, getting hit, getting caught, it's going to catch up to Prochaska. And as much as I don't buy into Glover being maybe an elite boxer at, at this stage of his career, his metrics don't rate out phenomenally well. 3.72 significant strikes landed per minute, 3.83 absorbed. If Teixeira can simply survive early, I would not be surprised if he had a lot of success against Prochaska on the feet as well in an extended fight. Like, I think there's a chance that he looks like the better boxer here. Like he is very technical, um, very experienced. It's just, it's a speed thing. It's a durability thing. But when, when you have someone who's so aggressive as Yuri, who who's only defending strikes with head movement, um, there's, a, there's, there's plenty of ways for that to go wrong. So, if I'm in, if I'm in Glover's team, yeah, I, I want him to try and land takedowns here because his biggest advantage is going to be on top. Prochaska was able to bump Dominic Reyes out of a mount transition, but that's a sequence where if Glover's in that same spot, I think Glover just takes the back. Um, so Glover definitely is going to be safest on the ground. That'll be his best chance to win. But outside of a round one, round two KO for Yuri. I wouldn't say that he's so much better than Glover on the feet. I just think he's got a legitimate chance to win by KO quickly, but I do respect the technique of Glover. And I mean, in that Anthony Smith fight, he showed, I mean, he just looked better. He looked better as a boxer as I, as I'd seen him in recent years. And to, uh, Prochaska, what one career win by decision. Yeah, is that what it is? I, 28 wins, 27 finishes. And the one decision was a two-round fight. So if I'm if I'm betting Prochaska here, I'm betting him by KO. Because if I told you, Dan, if I told you, hey, this fight starts round three, this like guaranteed this fight starts round three, you probably you probably would not be super, super confident in Prochaska. If you're on Prochaska here, you want him to win by KO quickly. And that's certainly a realistic outcome, but I am absolutely not counting Glover to share out of this one. I mean, I truly think this is one of those fights. They fight 10 times. You're seeing a different outcome all 10 times, literally. And, you know, when you talk about uh, Yuri's quote unquote advantage standing, it's, it's not that, you know, it's not about the youth. It's not about the speed in my eyes. It's about, he's got a very unique style. I mean, there's literally nobody like him. I think win, lose or draw. He's a very special fighter. I mean, when's the last time you saw guys that just have, I don't, I don't even know what to call his style. I mean, it's like, it's almost very awkward. Like Kung Fu in MMA kind of like, I mean, he's obviously got all the elements uh, that you need, the Muay Thai, the boxing, the, the jujitsu, the, he's got, he's got everything. It's just like the way he fights with his hands down. And if you just kind of like 
watch and don't pay attention, you might not pick up on some things and you might just say, oh, he fights with his hands down. He's hittable. But like there's some subtle things going on in those fights. Like he was fucking with uh, Volkan Uzdemir mentally, like throughout that fight. He's kind of he's kind of um, he does use a lot of head movement, but also he'll kind of slap your punches away. Not a traditional parry. Kind of, like, I don't know if it's Kung Fu. Like, I don't know what the deal is. It's something different. And he gets to guys mentally and his distance and his speed is something that you have to respect. Now, back to your point, you know, yeah, we saw Reyes take him down. We've seen other people outside the UFC take him down. So in the Reyes fight, he was taken down by what seemed to not be the best body lock takedown I've seen in my life. But let me say this. When Reyes attempted to pass, Yuri used that explosiveness, that athleticism, was able to get out of it. You look at a fight that he had outside the UFC against Brandon Halsey, who is a credentialed wrestler, and it was actually in Japan, so Brandon Halsey got to take his Flintstone vitamins, and that's not speculation. Brandon Halsey is a guy who popped uh, in Bellator, but you know, in Japan, the the drug testing's a little lenient there, so he was juice to the gills. Brandon Halsey got him in some bad spots. Yuri was able to get out of those bad spots. So my question is in those same bad spots with a guy like Glover, is he going to be able to survive? Furthermore, is he going to be able to escape? When I look at sequences like that, and it very much reminds me of, of Ziam, um, because Ziam was getting taken down, exploding out of Mount. He did so a couple of times against Jamie Malarkey. And when I, and it sort of a similar situation when he's exploding out of a mountain transition to Dominic Rice, I don't look at that and say, wow, that's impressive, man. Just put him in mount because he can just explode out. I, I look at that and say, like, eh, a, a better grappler probably takes his back there. And not only that, explosive defensive movements, that gets you tired. And for a fighter who doesn't have the best defense and doesn't win many fights by decision, uh, using energy is only going to potentially make those liabilities worse down the stretch. So it's totally a thousand percent possible Glover takes him down and Prochaska just gets back up. Like that is totally realistic, but based on the limited exchanges I've seen in, and in that Reyes fight specifically, I feel as though other submission grapplers or even Dominic Reyes, just in another, in another fight, other submission grapplers in that same transition wouldn't just be bumped off and reversed. Um, they would be able to take the back. And I think Teixeira has proven himself capable enough as a submission grappler, where if he does take Prochaska down, I very realistically he could take the back and, and advance position. And there's a whole separate set of defensive sequences you need to actually finish the choke, which I'm less confident about. But yeah, when Prochaska has a lot of energy, his chances of escaping are higher his chances of defending the submission attacks are higher as that energy declines glover's chances of controlling position go up dramatically advancing position go up dramatically his ability to actually finish the fight goes up dramatically and you know i, I like what you said about prochaska's awkward style and and it's it's you know you don't want to just say oh hands down therefore he sucks but like He's not defending strikes well in the UFC. He's defending strikes at 48%. And as much as the awkwardness does pose problems for opponents, defending strikes 
with only head movement is not is not ideal. It's just not. You're 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 the amount of strikes that you will absorb go up because you have less tools to defend them with. So it didn't fully hurt him in those two UFC fights, but again, it's something else that I look at where going forward you can't be totally surprised if it poses a problem, whether it's against Teixeira or against Ankalaev or whoever in future matchups. So um, I love the off- offensive potentness from Prochaska. I love the awkward style, really enjoyable fighter to watch. I, 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 yeah, I need to see more from him because there's also a lot of things that concern me. And especially from a betting perspective would push me away from his current money line. Now, on the flip side, I mean, that 48% and also the, you know, six point whatever he absorbs per minute. We also only have a two fight sample size and those two fights didn't go past the second round. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that had those fights been five uh, round fights and had he gone the full distance that all of a sudden the numbers would look a lot better because based on his style, he is going to take a lot of shots. But we do have a small sample size. However, you can go back to his, you know, his experience back in Japan and you know he's there to be hit no doubt now with glover he's also there to be hit but for different reasons i mean he fights with his hands up he's got kind of more a traditional boxing for mma style but one of the disadvantages of his age is that he's a little bit slower he's a little bit plottier he's a little bit more there to be hit the distance isn't as good as it is with a guy like uh yuri prohaska so that's something that you gotta definitely look out for also I've been wrong on a lot of these Glover fights because I keep feeling like, man, he keeps getting rocked in all these fights at some point. Like, at some point, someone's going to knock him out. And I've also, you know, the fights with Gustafs and the fights with Rumble, even the fight with Johnny Bones back in the day, it was like, man, like, uh, how much more can this guy take? So the fact that this dude overcame spots where I thought that maybe, maybe it's time to hang it up, maybe it's time to retire, and now he's an undisputed reigning defending UFC champion just shows the kind of resilience shows the kind of heart shows the kind of resolve that this guy has. And the thing I'm worried about is that since I've been counting him out so much, not because I don't respect him, I respect the fuck out of him. It's just more so the defensive liabilities. Now, if I pick him, now it's going to be the time he gets knocked out, Brett. Yeah, I, I totally understand. I mean, I'm on the exact same page. I haven't, fully been on to share during the streak. And I've thought the same things as you, the, 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 it's unfortunate because like the correct answer is that if he keeps taking fights, he's probably going to get knocked out. Like eventually it will happen. Um, maybe he'll retire before it happens, but it's just, it's a total variance thing. It's, it's a total variance thing. He's been knocked out. He was, you run that Tiago Santos fight back a hundred times. He gets knocked out in a bunch of them. You run that Carl Roberson fight back, bunch of times he gets knocked out in some of them you run the kudalaba fight back a hundred times he gets knocked out in a bunch of them he just didn't in the fights that actually that we actually saw and the same thing is going to happen with petroska you know that's why no matter how this fight ends and i'm sure we'll get the 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 people on both sides saying that was the only ever possible outcome you run this fight a hundred times petroska is knocking him out many times and i think Glover's also winning this fight many times. And that's kind of the beauty of MMA because we only get to roll the dice once. And I absolutely respect Glover um, to do what he's doing at this age in this division. It's, it's just a credit to his talent. And 
Um, the credit to his heart, too, because a lot of other fighters taking the damage that he took in other fights, getting dropped, getting hurt, would have just, that would have been it. They would have quit. They would have been done. And he's fought through adversity every single time. I think in this matchup, if he gets badly hurt, it's going to be tougher for him to fight through adversity and turn the tide and win. But um, it's possible. You can't count the guy out. And, and just to quickly touch on the, the statistics thing in the small sample, I'm... And it's the reason why I didn't mention he's absorbing Petroska absorbing 6.8 significant strikes per minute. When you have a small sample, it's the per minute numbers that I would expect to go down. So I don't think Petroska is going to absorb 6.8 significant strikes per minute throughout his entire career, nor is he going to land 7.1. Those are going to drop. The 48% defense is probably more of an accurate uh, estimation, I would say, of his of his skill set. Um, but yeah, man, I, I I really can't wait to watch this fight. I still haven't fully decided who I, I'm picking, but I want I want to lean with Glover. I really do. It's just you know we we kind of know how it's going to look if he loses. Not only that, I mean, look, you see a plus one eighty next to him, and you're we're talking like it's a fifty fifty fight from the from a betting perspective. It seems on paper as a dog or pass situation if we are correct that it's a 50 50 fight that's another discussion in itself we might be incorrect it might not really be this 50 50 fight it might they might run it 10 times and it might really not be an, a, a different outcome every single time it's just going into it before the fact i feel as though it could be that different outcome every single time but i see situations where both guys have success in their realms like for example i can see glover teixeira going out there taking down yuri but let's say he doesn't pass the guard but let's say he stays on top of yuri for that entire round he wins that round next round yuri could come out there and knock him out so it's like when people are saying one takedown the fight's going to be over you gotta put some context into that you can't just say that like one takedown and he passes to mount and gets a back mount okay then it might be over but one takedown and he cannot pass the guard and he's in the guard of yuri maybe yuri can survive that so there's just so many little details that's why it's not as simple as me as oh just get one takedown and, and the fight's gonna be over brett yeah no it's definitely not that simple i think for me i just you know my my brand the way that i process fights generally i feel knockout dependent fighters are overvalued on the betting line overvalued by the public and if Petroska is actually not knockout or bust, if he can take Glover down and and maybe submit Glover or easily no, out, that, he's not going to submit five, Glover. Let let right. let's eliminate that out. Okay, so it so, but you, you never know. But uh, so if Petroska truly is kind of knockout or bust in this fight, needing to win by KO in the early couple rounds. If that's truly the correct assessment, then I feel there's probably value on the Glover line. Um, but I absolutely agree with you that it, it's not just a one takedown, one takedown or bust because you know Petroska is explosive in general, and that plays out mostly on the feet. But um, that can also help you in very certain sequences, certain circumstances on the ground as well. So. Um, but the thing is, if Glover takes him down early and controls him and Prochaska gets back up to his feet, that would give still give me more hope that Glover can take him down a second time. And if he can do it once, he can probably do it twice. And if he can do it twice, he can probably do it three times. And so it's just 
the the earlier Glover can start to have success with his grappling, um, I think the better chance he he has to win the fight, whether it plays out in that first takedown sequence or not. But here's my thing with the knockout or bus talk, which like I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, I think he needs a knockout too. But when we when when I think of knockout or bus, you know, I think of like Melvin Gillard, where like even the record indicates that it's truly knockout or bust. Whereas this dude right here has had 32 pro fights and he's won 28 of them. I, I believe the percentage off the top of my head is like 87 to 88%. Of, he's wins. They've all, they've all been knockouts. <laughs> he, yeah. He wins 87 to 88% of the time of his fight. So it's like that knockout or bust. The knockout is such a high probability, a high chance of happening for this guy specifically. Whereas other guys that are knockout or bust, like, you know, they got tons of losses. Like, look how many fights this guy has and look how often he makes it work. So I think that the percentage is a lot higher for him. So when you call it knockout or bust, even though on paper, yeah, it's true. He's got to win by knockout. He wins by knockout a fucking shit ton. Yeah, but it's by knockout. So I just... That's, I mean, it, it just, I would need to see Prochaska win consistently by other methods for me to really factor other methods into the capping process. I mean, um, yeah, he's a very, look, he's about to fight for the light heavyweight championship. I mean, he, it's not, it's not a knockout or bust can be a slight. Like I can say that as an insult to some fighters like Tyron Woodley's knockout or bust. And I mean <laughs> that as in an insulting way, I don't necessarily mean it in an insulting way to Prochaska because he's will actually throw strikes and he'll he's very aggressive and he's very skillful in this style of fight and he's won the vast majority of his fights for that reason and it's very possible he goes out there hurts glover in the first couple exchanges dan i mean he might win this fight inside of a minute like that is a realistic outcome um and i i think we're gonna i i, I would be pretty shocked if we see an extended fight here I know the lines are juiced up on on to end inside the distance, but I just it's very difficult for me to imagine Glover not eating strikes over a two to three round period and surviving them. And if he does survive them, I just I feel like he has enough tools elsewhere over a five round period to to find a finish himself against an opponent who we've already seen compromised several times inside the UFC and outside the UFC. 100%. But I guess here's like, you know, even though I know the Tyron Woodley example is extreme. And the thing is, like, Tyron Woodley's not going to win a round in a fight unless he lays on you or he lands that one big punch. Whereas, like, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure Yuri won the first round of, of both of his UFC fights. And that high output that we were talking about, even though it is a two fight sample size. I mean, you go back and you watch his fights outside the UFC, not all of them, but a lot of them. I mean, he was winning those first rounds and then would subsequently get knockouts in later rounds. So I wouldn't count him out as a round winner just because the majority of the time he's winning by knockout. Whereas Tyron Woodley, when you back yourself into the fence and literally refuse to throw a strike and you close your eyes and you pray for that one Hail Mary, you're not going to win too many rounds, my man. But I think this guy, Yuri, is so active, is so aggressive 
that he does have the capability of winning rounds. It's just, you know, we haven't seen him in that five round extended fight. So I guess your question is what happens in rounds three, four, five? His style does require a lot of energy. Will he will he be able to push through when those times come? But at the same time, you look at a guy like uh Urosh Medic who fought recently, and a lot of people are saying he's first round or bust. When I when I call someone first round or bust, that to me means that they've busted past round one. Just because he hasn't won a fight past round one doesn't mean he's first round or bust you have i need to see someone bust past for uh, round one to know that they're first round or bust but based on the output of yuri i think that i mean he i think he can win rounds brett no you're correct i mean it's it's he definitely could win this fight by decision um or or fourth or third round tko yeah yeah i just i guess if you're going to say that Prochaska lands 25 to 30 significant strikes per round. And the, the fight goes, it's just very difficult for me to picture him having that much success to decisively win three rounds without hurting Glover, I, I guess is really what it comes down to. So, um, but, but it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. He, outstrikes Glover for three rounds and then gets taken down, but survives in rounds. There's a, there's a million different literal possible outcomes. Um, from a, again, from a macro perspective, I kind of consider Yuri knockout or bust in the sense that his success historically has pretty much only come in the form of damage. And when I am backing him, when I'm making an investment on him, I want him to succeed in that way. I want him to win by knockout, but yeah, could he theoretically out volume uh, land more effectively than Glover over five rounds win a decision. I think it's very possible. It just historically that hasn't really occurred. And based on the kind of striker versus grappler dynamic, the cardio dynamic, the um, you know the experience factor. I just I I yeah I feel like and it's an obvious statement, but I feel like Petroska has a much better chance to win by knockout here. Then he does decision again, especially against an opponent who's been knocked down a ton of times. So if, if if it was John Jones, we talk about John Jones versus Francis Ngannou another time. If it's if it's a guy like John Jones who has almost never shown any sort of um, has pretty much just taken no damage throughout his career, never been knocked down, really never seemingly hurt, then then that's one thing. It's like okay, Prochaska is against a guy who's so durable, man. No matter how many strikes he lands, it's it's going to be fine against an opponent who gets knocked down every other fight and the offensive pedigree of Pachaska, that's why I would lean much heavier toward the knockout side. But technically you are, you are correct. Look, I know everybody wants a pick. I know everybody wants us to not sit on the fence. And I, I just want to be transparent about my thoughts on this fight. Like, if I don't know, I don't know. And I truly don't know. Like, because like we said at the beginning, these guys run it 10 times. It's a different outcome all 10 times. So that means from a betting perspective, it must be a dog or pass situation when you see a plus 180. But you just got to live with the fact that there's a chance that, you know, Glover is getting sent to the shadow realm. And then I still have those questions about the grappling exchanges like i mentioned earlier like when people say one takedown the fight's over shortly after like i i that's not that's too black and white for me man like again 
Are, are we talking his passing guard? Are we talking Glover gets the back one time? Okay, then the fight might be over shortly after. Are we talking he gets full mount one time? Then it might be over shortly after. But if he's hanging out in Yuri's half guard and Yuri's full guard can't pass, then the fight might not necessarily be over shortly after uh, Brett Appley. Yeah, it's just if, if Teixeira is landing takedowns, multiple takedowns, you're saying holding holding Prochaska down in top half guard for three and a half minutes of a five round fight. Prochaska just can't be- get back up. Like, yes, he could then go into round two and just knock Teixeira out cold. But if Teixeira really has that control upside on a per round basis and he can prove it in an early round, I think the most likely outcome, therefore, afterward would be that he can take Prochaska again, down again, and hold him down again. And at that point, he's just the value side. He's just the side that you would rather be on from a betting perspective and the fighter who's most likely going to win. But would Petroska still be live, technically, to land a big knockout blow? Absolutely. But again, the more time he spends on the bottom, the more time he spends wrestling, the more energy he's going to use. And the chances of him having enough energy left in the tank to land a one hit or quitter in rounds three, four, and five, I think go down pretty significantly. And then let me say this. Okay. You know how we love our guys who can shoot takedown after takedown after takedown without getting discouraged, without getting tired. Now Glover, I know he ain't going to get discouraged. This guy's got the heart of a lion, but at 42 years of age, uh, firstly, do you know off the top of your head, what's the most takedowns Glover's landed in a fight? And you're welcome to look that up while I, uh, I don't know. I would guess th- three to five, but okay. um, I don't. He's not really a volume guy because he's so dominant when he gets the fights on the ground that he usually just wins by submission. I do think he's probably capable of three to five takedowns over twenty five minutes, but um, traditionally in the heavyweight division, you're just not going to need that many. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, man, it just makes it so it it makes it tough because I just don't know. Like, is it truly a situation where he takes him down? He's passing the full mount. He's passing that to back mount. And that's game set and match. Or is it going to be an early scare on the mat? And then they get back up to the feet and Yuri can uh, do a little something, something up there. So I'm not betting this fight, by the way. Like, I think it's okay to just accept the fact that there's a ton of variance and that you're, you're, there are many outcomes and it's pretty much impossible to, I don't think either of us can look at this fight and say, oh, Prochaska wins this fight 64% of the time. Therefore he should be whatever the hell, uh, minus 185 favorite. It just, I, I think there's a, many different outcomes. Um, I won't be surprised by a large variety of results. My gut feeling is that I would take Prochaska to win by KO if I was on him. And I think there's probably value on the Glover money line or inside distance line or submission line. Um, but I'm not that confident in it. I'm really not I, for all the reasons we've talked about already. And I think for me, it's just going to be a pass because it's, it's very difficult for me to identify the, the percentages of each side because it's so high variance because there's so many different outcomes that yeah i think i think it's 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 good to it's good to make these educated guesses but it's it's anyone who who says they know for certain what's going to happen is not bullshit is, is not totally <laughs> truthful hey, everybody but that's what makes you. it fun that's what makes it fun because i i really think there's a lot of different outcomes and 
that's what's going to keep me glued to the TV. Oh, I mean, this is one of those fights that they run it back every single weekend. You know, I'm watching that. That's not why. That's why I'm not a matchmaker, Brett Apley. That's why I'm just the guy that talks about the fights on half the battle. Everybody do us a huge favor. Smash that like button. And if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe and make sure you follow my boy, Brett Apley at Brett Apley. So we got to make a pick here. I mean, we make picks on the on the show. But I mean, again, I understand that I'm saying that it's, you know, potentially a 50 55 maybe they don't play like a 50 55 but what i'm saying is they run it 10 times it's a different outcome so therefore the odds have to, the the value has to be on uh on glover you know with those plus 180 odds but i do kind of lean jury before i watch tape i actually lean glover but at the same time tape isn't the be all end all man like uh sometimes you'll have a good confident lean it turns out to be the right case you watch some tape, it sways you off it. You pick the wrong side. So tape ain't the be-all, end-all. There's so many ways this fight can play out, but I think that I'm also worried about, look, I like the speed advantage of Yuri. I like the fact that, you know, Glover gets rocked a lot. This guy is not a guy you want to get rocked a lot, but also only two UFC fights, but at the same time, he's not your typical guy with only two UFC fights. He's a guy that truly paid his dues, even turned down a UFC contract back in the day. Cause he felt like he wasn't truly ready. Beat a couple UFC vets outside comes in here and handles two top 10 guys. And in addition to that beat legit competition outside the UFC. I mean, he has a win over Vadim Nemkov. And now I know, you know, shit wasn't going his way early in that fight, but he got Vadim Nemkov to a breaking point. So he's beat legitimate competition. He's not your typical two and oh guy. So my official pick is going to be Yuri Prohaska to become the new champ. It's just, you guys got to understand. I've been wrong on so many Glover Teixeira fights. This guy keeps defying the odds. I think the value is on him from the odds uh, perspective. And, you know, at, at, at some point, the sink has to, the ship has to sink. It's just, is it going to be Saturday night in uh, Singapore? And one last thing I want to say, with this fight not being in the U.S., you also got to factor in the jet lag with a lot of these fighters. And I know for a fact that the Czech Republic is a lot closer to Singapore than the United States of America. So maybe Yuri Prohaska is more acclimated to that time zone. I looked it up earlier. I think it was like 8 o'clock in, in, in Czech Republic, and it was like 2 a, It was 8 p.m. in Czech Republic while it was like 2 a.m. In, uh, in Singapore. And over here, it's only like 3 p.m., 3-something. 3 so your official prediction will be Prochaska via jet lag. No, uh, Glover is going to get that jet lag. because oh, uh, Yeah, because... Uh, He's um, further away. I got you. Prague and Singapore are, are, are closer in time zone. I got you. I got you. Well, I'll go with, I'll go with the other side then. I'll, I'll go with Glover just because I think it's a – I think he has a realistic path to victory. We've seen vulnerabilities in Prochaska's game that are going to pop up again, whether it's in this matchup or the future. Prochaska, uh, Teixeira has proven me wrong multiple times. Um and yeah, I, I love his experience. I love his skill set. And it's, I mean, yeah, it should be a great matchup. So I will side with the underdog officially in Teixeira. Yeah. And I mean, I think a plus 180 line on a guy who has been performing the way he has with the unknowns of what happens if he gets, you know, a dominant position on Yuri on the mat. And not to mention, I mean, like I said earlier in the show, I mean, Yuri fights with them hands down. Now his distance is on point. His speed is something else. Very tricky, unorthodox guy, someone you cannot replicate in the gym. 
I mean, I've seen Glover drop and rock plenty of people over the years uh, with, uh, you know, those meat and potatoes, overhand rights to left hooks. You know, he's got that old school. I want to say that Chuck Liddell style, even though Chuck's a southpaw and uh, Glover is orthodox, but you get what I'm saying, man. I mean, you keep your hands down on a guy like Glover, and I mean, from time to time, he will capitalize. So, yeah. And, and guys, I, I really don't like when people say, oh, like, this is my lean, but this is my pick, and then they brag about their leans. I'm not here to brag about no. Like, I just really don't fucking know. I'm just excited genuinely for this fight, and I can't wait to see what happens. So everybody do us a huge favor and smash that like button for us. And uh, any last words before we talk about this co-main event? No, man, I think we covered it uh, really well. Looking forward to it. And, yeah, let's let's jump on to the Shevchenko fight. Co-main event for the undisputed UFC flyweight championship. We got the champ, Valentina Shevchenko. She's 22 and three, taking on Talia Santos, who is 19 and one. Currently, they got it. Valentina Shevchenko, the odds have come down a little bit. She's minus 550. The comeback on Tyler Santos is plus 425. You know, Brett, I remember when I bet on Tyler Santos at minus 150 odds to beat Mara Romero Barella, a bet that I would make again tomorrow, next week, the week after, a month from now, two years from now. I mean, like, I'd literally make that bet nine times out of ten. It just happened to be that one time out of ten where, you know, shit, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. It's not even like... It wasn't even about what Mara Romero Barella did right. It was about what Santos did wrong. Santos didn't even fight in that in that match. And, you know, people can blame it on the nerves. And if there were nerves against the weakest opponent in the division, what, what are the nerves going to be like here against uh, against uh, Bullet Valentina? And, look, you got to respect what Tyler Santos has been doing. She's handled her next assignments accordingly. But her next assignments, with all due respect, Joanne Calderwood, who's getting finished in the first round multiple times he, over and over, and that's something you don't often see in the women's divisions. Roxanne Montefiore, a pioneer of the sport, has lost 18 fights and is retired. Jillian Robertson, I'm a fan, but is Jillian Robertson anywhere near a title shot? No, she's not. Molly McCann, I'm a huge fan, but what, this is just a different level than Valentina Shevchenko. With Valentina, here's my thing. It's just... It, it, to me, it goes back to the long reigning champ talk. At some point, the pressure of being the long reigning champ gets to these guys. You heard when Matt Hughes lost his belt to BJ Penn, he actually felt a sign of relief like, wow, you know, that weight is lifted off my shoulder. When Anderson Silva lost to Chris Weidman, like, wow, that that weight is lifted off my shoulder. GSB didn't actually lose his belt uh, the last time, he actually relinquished his belt relief was taken off his shoulder there's so much pressure that comes with being the champ now i think that valentina handles it better than a lot of people and i think that she's got so much pride that she's not getting burnt out she's not at that point where she's like you know like maybe i need to go on to do other things i think that she's flat out in her prime and the things she's doing to these ladies if the best thing you can tell me is that oh jennifer maya won a round where she literally did zero damage and that's like literally all we got. And then you got to go back to the Amanda Nunes fights where which were up a weight class. Amanda Nunes did have some success with some top control. But, I mean, those were close fights as well. So, like, I've never seen anyone show any kind of dominance against Valentina at all in any facet of the game. Um, so what kind of chance do you give Tyler? I think a lot of people are actually giving Tyler a huge chance. And, um, you know, I, I, I just don't want to be that annoying guy who's like planting my flag on a minus 600 favor and acting like I'm such some genius. Cause like, I mean, you betting minus 600 really ain't my thing, but like, I, I think Valentina is going to put it on this young lady period point blank. 
I think that's a fine take. I I came away not as certain, and I think it really just comes down to how much stock you put in that Santos versus Barella fight and how much stock you put into the the round Valentina gave up against Jennifer Maya. Because, I mean, Valentina's so good, and she's absolutely demolished pretty much everyone she's come across. And, and yeah, Santos has looked great recently, but... Obviously, Robertson, Mataferi, Joanne Wood, Molly McCann, they're not on the level of, of Valentina. And whether it was what Barella did wrong or, or, or what Barella did right versus what Santos did wrong, you know, Santos got out grappled in that fight. And Shevchenko is absolutely one of the best wrestlers in this division. That's her best strength as an MMA fighter. And she has used it very, very effectively over recent years. And if Santos is the fighter that we saw her uh you know against barella where those are true weaknesses where she's going to give up takedowns and she's you know get her back taken etc sifchenko's just going to go out there and kind of ragdoll her and and i think valentina has the upside in this matchup to land takedowns get the crucifix smash santos from top position Santos going to tire out. Valentina wins by KOTKO or submission on the ground. I think that's a very realistic outcome. If that doesn't happen, if that doesn't happen, I think this fight's going to be competitive just because outside of Valentina on top of Santos in a dominant position, I don't know if she has enough pull away effect anywhere else. Like obviously Valentina is a, a very, very skillful striker. But, you know, she doesn't land strikes at a very high rate. 3.2 significant strikes per minute. That's that's not – that you're not going to win rounds consistently on the judge's scorecard. If she goes out there and head kicks Santos and puts her away like she did just guy, then so be it. But I think Santos has the capability to strike with her for a longer period of time than perhaps other opponents have. Again, especially because Valentina doesn't throw that much. So could Valentina still be edging out minutes? Yes, but I think Santos, you know, she throws strikes at a higher rate. She also defends strikes very well, limits strikes absorbed. Um, I think if this is a pure kickboxing match, it's competitive for a while. And then the other aspect is, yeah, you don't want to read too much into her losing a round to Jennifer Maya, but you also don't want to ignore it because... Maya went in there, clinched her up, took her down, and held her down and went around. And I don't rate Maya that highly. Um, and truthfully, after that, I mean, you know, Jessica Andrade is not it's not a not a control grappler in any stretch. I don't put much stock into Lauren Murphy. You know, Tukagian's not going to be the type to to control Shevchenko on the ground. Carmouche. That was a decision. Um, Santos is very physical. And Santos, despite her defensive flaws as a grappler, she's grappled offensively pretty well in the UFC too. And she will look to clinch and she will look to wrestle. And if Jennifer Maya can win a round off Shevchenko, I don't see why Santos couldn't. The problem with backing Santos to any degree is that I feel like her best chance to win is like, oh my God, it's two to two heading into round five. Santos is tired. Can she pull off this 
fifth and final round to swing the score. Like that's kind of the best case scenario for her. I don't see her knocking Shevchenko out. I don't see her, you know, submitting Shevchenko, even if she does have success in the clinch and on the ground, I think Shevchenko is going to have some degree of success as well. So it's probably going to be a very, very close fight, even if Santos is having success where Shevchenko could just blow her out in the water. Um, I'm not looking to bet Shevchenko here at, at minus 600. Either am I. And I'm not necessarily looking to bet Santos, but I do give her some respect. And I I mean, I, I think the line's fair just because for the reasons I've said and, and you know, Shevchenko's historic pedigree and her runaway potential. Um but like, yeah, I won't be surprised if we're in round three and it's like one round each way and one of the rounds was close and we're kind of like, oh my God, Shevchenko might lose her belt. And then <laughs> Santos gets tired in rounds four and round five. Like I would probably expect her to because she's a very physical fighter and she's gotten tired in other fights. So it's still very hard to be like, Santos is winning. But, you know... If it, yeah, it's all all theoretical. If she has the cardio to go rounds four and five, if she can defend takedowns, if she tries to go out there and clinch with with Val, if Val, you know, still struggles to get up off her back, there are there are ways for Santos to succeed here and potentially pull off an upset. I'm not predicting it, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a more competitive fight than the line suggests. I just feel like when you have a long reigning champion and people have a moment of success, people overblow it to a point. They they exaggerate. Like, okay, can Tyler Santos win a round? Yeah, sure, why not? But like to win three rounds against Valentina, the kind of adjustments a, a young lady like Valentina can make, her competitive spirit. I just personally don't see it happening. I also don't see a finish happening either. And then to um uh, to bring up your point about the low volume of Shevchenko, I mean, that's not, I'm not going to debate that. I just want to put context on that. I think that it's a situation where Valentina doesn't lead. Valentina is a counter striker. So if you want to do a, uh, what Liz Carmouche did and just run away from her the whole time, well, I mean, Valentina isn't about to come out here and take any unnecessary risks, but Tyler Santos like you mentioned, is more of an aggressive fighter. Well, that's going to leave the openings for Valentina to be more active. And I think we will see a higher output just based off that merit that, I mean, if you're a counter striker, someone's coming at you, those openings are going to be there. Whereas if they're running away from you the whole time, you know, like you got to come to me. That's a Val that's Valentina's, uh, you know, point of view from my perspective. That's fine, and you're not wrong, but you don't want to be in a spot backing a, a minus 600 favorite who doesn't throw to high volume, and you and you know their opponent's going to be pressing forward. And so it's like, yeah, like if Santos is aggressive and pushing forward and throwing a lot of volume, does that give Shevchenko the opening she needs to counter? Like, yes, but that's not indicative of a minus 600 favorite that's indicative of a fighter who probably edges out minutes maybe like the fight would be competitive like if this like like Shevchenko's an excellent counter striker and she probably still could win that fight judges are judges are going to see one fighter marching forward throwing volume another fighter backing up and trying to counter and 
Shevchenko would need to inflict a severe amount of damage to really separate herself. And so then it just gets in, it just gets into the, the scary category of like, you know, everyone who picks Shevchenko thinks she won the round and everyone who picks Santos <laughs> thinks she won the round. And then you're just fighting back and forth on Twitter for the next two months. And it's, yeah, like Shevchenko is so skilled in every area that it's, I'm, I'm just kind of picking here, just kind of picking nitpicking, but um, it's it hasn't been Shevchenko's counter striking style that that's made her so dominant. It really hasn't. It's been her grappling, pretty much in every fight, with the exception of the head kick KO against uh, Jessica I. Pretty much in every fight, it's her dominant grappling, and that Holly, Holly Holm fight was good counter striking. Yeah, that and I agree, and I bet Shevchenko to win. Uh, uh, I bet Shevchenko to win by decision at plus six hundred in that fight. Nice, but I, I uh, hit her straight at like plus two hundred five. <laughs> And she still landed three takedowns in that fight, and that was in 2016. And and look, point being, this is how this it doesn't mean it doesn't mean Santos is winning striking exchanges. It just means that if shift if if it's only playing out on the feet, shift Santos has a lot better chance to win than if Santos is on her back under Shevchenko's shins, getting elbowed in the head. Really, so. Um, if I'm in Shevchenko's corner, if I'm investing in Shevchenko, I, I want her on top. I want her wrestling. And if I'm backing Santos, I need her to do everything possible to keep that fight upright. So your pick is? I'll pick Shevchenko. And still. And I mean, listen, my analysis I just gave is the more serious stuff, but here on a more light note. No girl that lost to Mara Romero Barella is going to beat Valentina Shevchenko in a fight. I mean, if you can't beat Mara, Mara Romero Barella on your worst day, I don't think you're beating Valentina Shevchenko on your best day. I know that that's completely irrelevant. That's just more fun talk. But, yeah, I got Shevchenko. No, I'm not laying minus 600 on it. But uh, I got Shevchenko to defend uh, her belt. But, yeah, I'm curious to see if uh, Tyler Santos can bring the fight to her or – I mean, if she was nervous against, uh, look, you're, look, fighters are nervous before every fight. So I just don't know why people use that as an excuse. Like, like I don't care how nervous you were. You're supposed, like, you, you got to go out there and destroy Mara Romero Burrell, who I, I believe never won another UFC fight ever again, and was literally one of the worst fighters in the history of the division. Like, I think that's unacceptable, no matter what kind of excuses people want to make for her. Yeah, I mean, look, nerves are hard to call. You can get nervous and still do your job. I threw up three times before I got on this show today. I was so nervous, but I'm still out here doing, <laughs> producing some, some, giving some good analysis for y'all. So it's possible that she was super nervous in that fight, and it's possible that she's learned from her mistakes, and it's possible that even if she is nervous, she can fight for a hard fit 25 minutes. It's just she's got an animal in front of her that is going to be the, the biggest challenge of her career. And I think – I. I think we'll see a more competitive fight than maybe some expect, but um, Shevchenko is one of the one of the best fighters of all time, and if she just imposes her will yet again, hard to be totally shocked by that. I'd say at most Santos wins a round, and then people overblow it and they call Valentina overrated. Oh my God, someone round won a round against her in a fight, like. It's, like they did with Maya, but yeah, I got Shevchenko. Everybody, do us a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Now let's talk about the featured bout, the rematch between Wiley Zhang. She's 21-3. and three.
taking on Joanna Janjacek, who is 16 and four. And Brett, can you can you spell uh, Joanna's name uh, without looking it up yet? J e d r z e j c z y k. Wow. Wow. When you write as much as I do, man, I'm probably at the top of, of the top being able to spell last name. So, um, yeah, in my head, I say it Yetter Zedj C-Z-Y-K. That's how I'll, that's how I'll type it. So uh, when you say Yun Jacek, I have to be like, all right, who is that again? Because I know her as Yetter Zedj C-Z-Y-K because that's how I spell her name. He's an impressive young man. For me, all I do is when you go on that Google bar, I type in Joanna, and then the last name comes up. You copy and paste the last name, and we take it from there. And currently, they got it. Wiley Zhang, minus 155. The comeback on Joanna and Jacek is plus 140. So last time, the odds were actually minus 215 for uh, Wiley Zhang. And there's a lot to talk about. And I actually know you and I talked about this back in the day, and I bet on Wiley and won. At the time, I actually felt like, I won fair and square, and, and but but there's a there's a reason why it was a five round fight. I thought that Wiley could have got one of those first three, but then I thought she clearly got the championship rounds. That I, I thought she won that fight. But if you look at the scorecards, had that been a three round fight, would have actually been a split decision win for Joanna and Jacek. But here's another factor. I believe that uh, Singapore is closer to China than it is to. Oh, both Poland and the United States, which is, uh, you know, Joanna's new adopted home. So how is if this is another split decision fight, I mean, you got to be worried about the judges favoring, you know, the, I guess the, I'm not going to say home country person, but home continent person. Um, but to take it a step further, Brett Apley, in a split decision fight, you'd rather be on the plus 140, the plus 150, the plus 160 then laying the chalk. So how do how, how are we breaking this one down? Obviously, the volume of Shevchenko, the power of Zhang, the potential takedowns of Zhang. Like, where are we going with this one? Yeah, I, I like Yan Jacek here. I, I liked her in the first fight. I bet her in the first fight and lost. And I'm, I'm never going to be the one to, to, to cry about robberies and this and that, even if I think my fighter won. And I, I thought young Jacek won that fight live. And even in hindsight, I think there's a good case to make that she won that fight. But like that literally doesn't matter. It matters 0% in terms of the actual analysis. It's just from a macro perspective, that first fight was very close. And I think that's what I came away. That that's what my take is. You go back and watch that fight. I mean, three of the three of the five rounds, they, they landed the exact same number of significant strikes. I don't think Zhang won a unanimous round. Um, I really think, I really, really believe that the visual of the hematoma played a major part in scoring round, especially live. It's just human nature to to see the damage, and it just it carries over into rounds after that. Um, but like Zhang landed some very effective strikes, and it wasn't as if Young Jacek won several rounds decisively either. I was on the underdog then. I'm on the underdog now. I still just believe it's going to be a competitive fight. I think you can make an argument that three rounds favors one side or the other. I mean, heading into that first fight, a lot of people, probably myself, I don't really remember, but it was a thing where Young Jacek's fought five rounds. She's got better cardio. People thought, a lot of people thought Zhang was just going to knock Young Jacek out quickly. She had some insane power. And the opposite played out where you know, Jacek won more of the early rounds and Zhang actually won rounds four and round five. So now 
it's flipped. We got three rounds. I don't really know who it favors. I think they're just going to trade at a pretty high rate. I like Jan Jacek more because she throws consistent volume. And if she doesn't take big, impactful strikes, she's probably going to win. And even if she does, I think she has a chance to make rounds very competitive. I'm not too worried about the grappling from Zhang. I mean, look, it it's probably going to be a hot take, but if, if Zhang beats her and fights Carla and we get a big plus number on Carla again, I'm probably going to be on Carla again because Zhang isn't, isn't a very good grappler. And maybe she has some offensive capabilities, but in the first fight, she didn't really have any success against the Tech wrestling. I think she went one for eight and barely, like, I think they still controlled each other the same amount of time, despite Yun Jacek never even attempting a takedown. So Yun Jacek is a very good defensive wrestler. Maybe Jane can get her down once, but I would, I would favor Yun Jacek to scramble up very effectively. So I think it's mostly just going to play out on the feet. Um, both girls could knock each other out. I think Zhang has power. We've seen Yun Jacek KO'd before, but it's really hard to project project that outcome and on the flip side we've seen Zhang hurt and KO'd early very hard to project that outcome from Yan Jacek I think they're going to trade at a high rate Yan Jacek's numbers rate out better she throws higher volume you know people are talking about how bad Yan Jacek's defense was in the first fight that's why you look at the numbers Yan Jacek actually defended uh or you know landed strikes at 51 percent Zhang only landed strikes at 40 percent Yan Jacek was the better defensive fighter in that first fight um I capped this fight pretty close to even, if not slightly favoring Yan Jacek, and I think she's decent play for the plus money. I also really like this fight to go the distance, which we got it closer to minus 200 earlier in the week in a three-round fight where we don't really project much grappling and, and you kind of need a standing KO from either side. I feel like this fight should be extended. Um, I've seen people taking flyers on split decision one way or the other. I don't think that's terrible to be honest because that's probably one of the more likely outcomes i think we're going to see competitive rounds judges are going to view it probably different ways I, I not enough stands out decisively for me on one side or the other and so i'm leaning with the metrics a little bit with the on j check but um as well as the plus money but i i i think it's going to be very fun and i think it's going to be pretty competitive what do you think Let's talk narratives on this one. So, Joanna's been out since this fight, which was in March 2022. And for some fighter, for some analysts, they like to bring up the layoff and use it against fighters. And I'm actually not one of those guys because I feel like when you've had as long as of a career as someone like Joanna and Jacek, you've accomplished the feats she has. You know, most title defenses in the history of that division. I mean, sometimes you're going to get burnt out, Brett Apley, and you come back refreshed, re-motivated. Might look like a better version of yourself. So the layoff really doesn't have much of an impact on me unless, back to a narrative, is if, is this a situation where if she loses this fight, she's retiring? Or is she truly locked into a point where, hey, like we're back, let, let's go on another title run. We just saw Carla, the person we beat for the belt, when the belt is that is that a new motivation to show that hey maybe i can be the straw weight queen once again and go go ahead it, that's the problem with narratives is that you really don't you really don't have answers to them and that's why i don't really factor them into my analysis because like yeah the layoff absolutely could hurt yan jacek 
or it could help her. And the fact that Carla is now the champion, <laughs> if you're young, I mean, that is a fantastic style. I said I would be on Carla against Jing. I would not be on Carla against Young Jade. That is a fantastic stylistic matchup for Joanna, who now, probably before this fight, thought that she was never, ever getting a shot at the title ever again. And now she'll be a minus 400 favorite probably against the, the reigning champion if she can get back, if she can get past Zhang in a fight she probably thinks she already won. So she's going to come out here motivated. It, I, as, as long as she's been training properly, I think we're going to see the average typical form of Yun Jacek. I mean, yeah, maybe she gets jet lagged. Maybe there's retirement in the back of her mind. But unless she comes out and says, oh, man, I, I don't feel great this week. I'm, I'm thinking about retiring. I just don't factor it in that much because I don't. It's too, it's too hard to know. It's just too hard to know exactly how it helps or hurts either way. And I mean, like Zhang, yeah, she's been fighting recently, but she just got starched by Rose. And then I thought she beat Rose the second time, but she officially did not. And she looked pretty bad down the stretch in that fight. So where's her confidence at? You could swing the narrative. And, and that's the problem. You can swing the narrative any way that you want to make your point. Um and some some of the narratives are true and some are not. It's just really hard to, to decipher between them for me. Yeah, no doubt. And for me, it's less the jet lag on someone like Joanna, who you know is a very well traveled individual. She's a true professional, and I also think that the time off would aid someone like that against. Uh, again, when you're talking about these very experienced fighters, you're not talking about some you know some green rookie who's coming off a huge layoff and they're going to have that big adrenaline dump. I don't see that being the case. I see Joanna coming out here like the true professional she is. But again, like, you know, these kind of judges, if this is truly that close split split decision 50-55, well, numbers-wise, values on Joanna, what are these judges going to look at? Are they going to favor, you know, the Asian fighter in Singapore or are they, are they going to give it to Joanna? I know these are little things that, uh, you know, I just got questions about, and then there's also the volume talk of uh, Joanna, significantly better volume versus the power. You know, sometimes you can go out there, outland an opponent, but they land, they but their the opponent lands that one big shot that changes the course of the round. And and back to the talk of the hematoma. You know, when you got a head growing on your head, it's not a good visual for the judges. Yeah, and sorry, I was gonna say just for me across the board it's why i rely on the volume because i know that joan is going to go in there and throw volume that's that's what she does every single round of every single fight she's going to go out there and try and throw as many strikes as she can pretty much across the board um and if Zhang and Zhang may or may not may or may not throw as much volume. I, I, you can't project her to, she may or may not land those big effective strikes. She'll probably land a couple of them, but it's just much more difficult to count on big effective strikes. And maybe she'll go, go out there and put Yoana away instantly. Maybe the layoff did have an effect and maybe the chin's not totally there anymore. And, but for, at least from a betting perspective, I don't really see a way that even if she wins in hindsight, I just don't really see a way that you'd be capping Zhang as a value in this spot. I think she absolutely can win. She can win close rounds. She can land a big shot and win around decisively. She can mix in a takedown, win around decisively. But 
uh, those are less trustworthy actions for me. And I rate Yuan's volume better. Her defensive skills are better. Uh, consistent, consistency, consistent, consistency throughout her career. I, like I even think Yuan is probably the better grappler. If Yuan gets on top of which she won't, but Zhang looked horrible defensively on the ground. Um, so there, there's there's still a lot of things that can happen. Again, I just have to look at this from as big of a macro perspective as possible. Expect competitive. You have to expect competitive rounds. Um, both girls could win around here and we could be heading into again, heading into round three, one, one split decisions. That's, that is my general expectation for this matchup. And the last thing I want to say is that no two fights are created equally just because it was this all out war, you know, fight of the year. The first time doesn't mean that's going to be the case this time. I mean, for example, Wiley and Rose first time, first round knockout, second time, five round competitive fight. Uh, Rose versus Joanna, first time, first round knockout, next time, five round competitive fight. And I can name a lot of examples. Shogun Machida, first round, five round war, second time, five round technical battle, uh, second round, uh, second time, uh, first round finish. You look at Cowboy Cerrone versus Benson Henderson, look at their history, look at Showtime Pettis versus Cowboy, look at Showtime Pettis versus, versus Benson, like all these matchups, like the rematch of Dan Henderson and Bisbing, like. The two fights are never alike. So if we're expecting it to be this close split decision, 50-50 tooth and nail fight like the first time, well, yeah, there is value on on JJ, especially uh, in a three-round fight. But is that going to be the approach here? Is, or is Wiley going to – go ahead. Oh, I just don't think you can project it any other way. That's the problem. All we're trying to do is project it. And it. I, and, and do you think – I mean, do you think Zhang's going to land – Several takedowns, earn five plus minutes of control, have submission attempts. Like, is that, do you think that's a realistic outcome or no? I mean, not five plus, but like, what if one takedown and Joanna is not, not able to get up? That's a round in the bag. Yeah. I just, I guess I don't think that's a likely outcome based on the skill that I've seen from Zhang and based on her lack of success in the first matchup. It's possible. I just, to me, I don't project much wrestling success on either side. And if we're just looking at a, a kickboxing fight, of course, you 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 know, five percent here, five percent there. Yun Jacek can rock Zhang. Zhang could rock Yun Jacek. Zhang was the one that had to be carried to her corner in the middle of the last fight. So um, there, there's damage potential on either side. But the giant chunk of percentage that's left is this fight's going to a decision in in and you look at the numbers on both sides. Yeah. Jacek does have better volume, better defense, but not by an incredible margin. And so that's why, you know, if you're, if you're projecting a, a round to be 30 to 27 in favor of Jacek and significant strikes, does she win that round more than 50% of the time? Probably, but not more than 60% of the time. Like they're, the margins are very slim. So will it be fight of the year? I don't think so. Um, part of what played into that was the visuals and the, the zombie girl marching forward in, in the championship rounds. And I, I doubt we're going to get that exciting of a fight, but I think we'll, I think we'll see close competitive rounds, high volume on both sides. Both girls will, will have their moments. P 
and there's a good chance, you know, it's going to be a similar situation as we saw the, the end result of last time where people aren't fully decided one way or, or the other on who actually won. Yeah. And then back to the, you know, do I expect the takedowns and this and that? Look, I, I don't know what the approach is going to be. You know, are they trying to stand and bang and have another fight of the year? Or look, that last fight with Wiley, I mean, she held down uh, Rose Namajunas a lot better than the credentialed wrestler Carla Esparza did. So maybe she sees a path there. But but uh, I'd say JJ has some of the best takedown defense and get up game in the history of the strawweight division. So literally, dude. I have no fucking idea. So that means that the value should be on JJ. I know you're picking JJ outright. I literally don't know. And I, and I apologize to the fans for being on the fence, but I'm just trying to be 100% transparent and honest. I'm not betting either side. like, And I'm not going to be one of these dudes who sits here and says, I don't know, and then go on Twitter and be like, oh, my lean one or you know any bullshit like that. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to give you my best analysis on both sides and what I think the potential outcomes could be and where the value uh, on the line is. And if it's, you know, like I said, have that first fight between them been a three round fight, according to the scorecards, Joanna won a split decision, but uh, Wiley took over in those championship rounds and that got her the dub. So it's a tough one. You're going Joanna. So I'm gonna go on the opposite side and take Wiley. But I mean, like, I ain't putting money on that. I have no idea, dude. Look, there's a there's difference between sitting on the fence and I guess what my take is is just that I have it cap I have it capped around even. I think if they fought a hundred times, they would both win pretty close to 50-50. Obviously, it's not going to be literal, but I think it's going to be a, a very close fight the vast majority of the time. That's partially why I like the value on Joanna. But again, I think this the the sleeping number here is uh, goes the distance because uh, projecting Zhang to knock Yan Jacek out at a high rate, I don't think is fair, nor is it fair to project it vice versa. I don't think either girl winning by submission is very fair. So, I mean, you need a standing KO pretty much. It, this should probably be like minus 400 goes the distance, I think in a three round fight. So, um, Look, man, and, and I'm more than willing to be wrong. I've been wrong a million times before, but I think the the I think the correct the correct uh, the correct percentages is relatively even on both sides. That's truly what I think. So those were the three main fights, and I think those were the ones that we went to the most depth into. So for the next cards, you know, I mean, we're gonna say what we gotta say, but I think it'll be a little bit. Uh, less long-winded but everybody here do us a huge favor smash that like button hit the subscribe button make sure you follow my boy brett at brett Apley, and follow me at best fight picks on twitter now let's talk about the second fight on the main card between rogerio bontorin he's 17 and 4 representing brazil taking on manel cap who is 17 and 6 representing portugal so brazil versus portugal you know uh the two to two places that speak Portuguese now different dialects of course but uh, I can go over there and say uh, brigado and a couple words and I can maybe find my way around but look back to this matchup man I mean what I like about this kid Rogerio Bontorin is that I, he's a he's a heavy hitter but not not as heavy of a, of a hitter as his opponent but I mean like you stand and bang with Rogerio Bontorin don't be surprised at some of those big hooks uh you know land clean and but what i really like is 
sometimes on the mat, I mean, this guy's top control is on point. And also in that Bibulata fight, he was attacking for some stuff off his back. I know you remember that. Was it a Uma Plata attempt? It's been a while since I've re- since I've rewatched that fight. But well, Jero's got something on the mat. Um, sometimes some in-fight decision-making kind of cost him from time to time. But speaking of in-fight decision-making, I think the only thing holding Manel Cap from being a world champion is Manel Cap. I mean, like, okay, the... The first fight against Pantoja, listen, that was your first, you know, exposure to UFC level, to top five UFC level competition. And it was still a good fight, but no sweat off your back, man. You lost to a legit guy, fair and square. But the next fight against Nicolau, and Nicolau is a guy I hold in high regard. Nicolau is a guy who I think is unbelievably talented, but it's like Manel Cap is so... He believes in his one hit or quitter so much that he'll literally just take minutes off fights and literally kind of almost laugh at his opponent and have zero regard whatsoever for what they have because he he realizes that the one time I let my hands go, I'm going to affect you. I'm going to hurt you. And he hopes that, you know, either if he doesn't get the knockout, hopefully the judges see it as, hey, I'm doing the more damage. I'm doing the more impact. But that's going to cost him in decisions from time to time. I mean, if you look at him and Nicolau, who was the more hurt guy? Who was, you know, who probably had to go to the hospital after that fight? It wasn't Manel Cap. But the reason Manel Cap doesn't have anyone to blame but himself is for, you know, reasons that Brett Apley likes to talk about that low volume, that low activity. Like, if he can just pick it up this much, give me this much more effort. I mean, I think this guy's a star. I think this guy is someone that could fight for a UFC title. I think he's got all the tools. And I also think that now he's acclimating to the UFC's octagon because back when he was fighting in Japan, I mean, he had a fight with with tennis shoes on you know the refs got the earpiece the whole bit but hero here, here in the in the ufc i think he's starting to feel at home and i think we're going to see some big things from him but listen man uh i didn't even uh mention the odds the odds currently have it manel cap minus 225 hojerio bontorin is plus 185 and while i think that if manel cap performs how i want manel cap to perform he's going to cover that price tag it's just that when he lands one shot then three or four minutes go by and he hasn't done anything and he's showboating and this and that you know you can't cry robbery when you lose a split decision in that kind of fight brett yeah i mean i respect the talent of cop i I know i think he's it's just unfortunately he's another one of these fighters who i kind of put into the bucket as needing damage to really make a statement and that's why i'm not thrilled about his betting line in this matchup if you told me it goes to decision i, I think cop could win but i wouldn't be extraordinarily confident i just think his 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 money making ability comes in the form of damage and that his two biggest successes in his four ufc fights have come with knockdowns and he knocked out i was born in the first round and he knocked out Zagas in the first round and his volume looked a lot better against Zagas. I just wonder if because Zagas was kind of going ape shit in that fight and just throwing at an incredible rate himself and and really forced Cop into high volume exchanges. So uh, that's kind of what I'm curious. Real quick, so, sorry to cut you off. Is that going to be a similar case in the in the co-main event? Is Tyler going to throw at a high clip and force Valentina to those counter shots? Force her to up that volume it, it definitely could but like what i would say is zagas was pretty much winning that round until he got his legs chopped out and then 
after that he was very hurt and got knocked out shortly after. So like it, it certainly could, but like that almost allowed Zalgas to 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 win that first round with that pressure, with that volume. So um yeah, we'll see. But but and so with Cop, I, I would just like to see a little bit more activity. I mean, he it he has the sample now when he's too patient, when he doesn't let his hands go enough. He's in danger of, of winning or of losing fights. And it's not that he can't win fights, but like if you put yourself in a position where you landed what? Let me go back to the cop versus Nicolau fight. Um, you know, cop landed 58 distance strikes and Nicolau landed 50 distance strikes and Nicolau took him down twice. And yeah, you cop could have won that fight, but like, it's just too competitive. So I would like to see him step, step on the gas pedal a little bit more. I think he'll be fine on the feet in this particular matchup against Bontarine, who I don't really trust as a boxer. I know he had success against Schnell, but, um, it just, doesn't land strikes at a high rate either cops much more technical. It's got much more firepower. I don't really trust the cardio of Bontarine either. So I definitely think cop could put him away. And if it was a pure kickboxing match, I would take cop to win, um, over 15 minutes as well. It mostly just for me, Bontarine's probably going to need takedowns and he's landed eight against Brandon Roy Val averaging 2.9 per 15 minutes cop defense takedowns at 80%, which is good. Even if he gets taken down, Bontarine can be a little bit questionable in terms of his control ability, his submission ability. And even defensively, Bontarine, yeah, he, he might have some skill off his back, but defending takedowns at 51%, he just got starched by Ray Borg. Um, Ray Borg's very, very good, but I don't think Bontarine's a very solid defensive grappler where cop might even be able to have some success in the wrestling department himself. So I definitely favor cop here, but, um, I do give Bontarine some takedown ability. Won't be surprised to see him land a couple takedowns. If he turns that into a round or two win, can't be shocked by it, but, uh, cop definitely has more tools here. I like his cardio and, um, it's a spot that he should, he should succeed in. So we're both going with Manel cop to get it done. Correct. Now, if Rogerio Bontorin avoids the kill shot, now I don't necessarily think that the fight's just over then. I mean, I, I also agree with you that you don't just have to knock someone out to win the fight. And in a case like this, I think you can land the harder shots, impact a guy, wobble him, steal rounds that way. What kind of chance do you give Rogerio Bontorin to rack up takedowns, top control, and potentially win a judge's decision that way? Um, like, I, I don't know, uh, a decent chance, I guess it, it's like, I give him a decent chance to have success with his takedowns, but I'm not certain that translates into round wins because we just saw him land eight takedowns against Roy Val and he still could not do enough to actually win two of the three rounds, you know? So we need, you need more from him. You need effective striking, even on the ground, you need submission attempts and, um, so yeah, if the fight goes the distance and you, uh, you know, I projecting Bontarine for two to three takedowns sounds fair. And could that be enough? Absolutely. It could be enough to make rounds competitive. Could be enough to turn this into a split decision. Could be enough for him to win. I still would not be that confident in it because even if he, unless he's literally controlling cop for four and a half minutes per round, 
Cop's still probably going to have his moments, probably going to be the aggressor in exchanges. Um, so, but, but that, but that is, in my opinion, Bontarine's best chance, best path to victory is to get top position, neutralize Cop's most dangerous weapons, hold him down for as long as he can, pitter patter, ground and pound, and uh, try and steal two rounds. That's that's what I think he should do. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely a viable outcome. I'm not counting him out, but I wouldn't be shocked if he still lost that fight based on what we just saw against Ravel. Well, I predicted at the beginning of this year, you know, I did my, um, you know, at the end of every year, I do like my award show and then I do my predictions for the, the following year. And I said that Manel Cap will fight for a UFC world title. Now, it might not happen this year with the whole now there's an interim title. Now, Davison is offended. There's all this shit going on. And honestly, like I know people are excited to see Kaikara France and Brandon Moreno, but I feel like a lot of y'all forgot you, you guys already saw that fight. And it wasn't not only was it not really competitive, it wasn't that great of a fight. But, you know, at the same time, they've both reached new heights and levels since then. And every single fight is different, like we talked about earlier. So who knows? But back to my point, I'm with you. If Manel Cap fights like I want him to fight like Manel Cap. I don't want you to land one hard jab and then laugh at the guy, stare at him for four minutes. And just because the quality of the strikes of Bontarin might not be as good as yours, he out-volumed you and, and maybe landed one little takedown at the end of the round. And all of a sudden, he steals a round where he got hurt, but it didn't matter because he outworked you. As long as we can avoid some shit like that, I think Manel Cap is going to come out here and win this fight and get one step closer to that elusive UFC title shot. Now, everybody, do us a favor. Listen to my man, Effie, and Effie Any Action Sportscast. Uh, shout out to, if that's your show, shout out to your show. Um, and smash that like button for us, man. There's 100 plus people in here, and we truly appreciate y'all being here. Oh, I, someone said my mic is cracking a lot. Is that true, Brett? You sound fine to me. You can hear everything I'm saying? Yes. Okay. Okay, good. Anybody else in the comments want to comment on that? Because you know that kind of shit pisses me off. But if Brett says he can hear every word I'm saying, then that's all I care about. Now, kicking off the main card, we got a matchup between Australia's top prospect, Jack Della Maddalena. What a name. Someone tell me the origins of that name. And uh, he's 11 and two, taking on Ramazan Goretz Amiv from Russia, who is 20 and five. And currently, they got it. Give me one sec, y'all. Okay, here we go. Jack Della Madalena, minus 150. The comeback on Ramazan Amiv is plus 130. So. Man, a couple of years ago, I was out here calling Ramazan Amiv the clinch master. Like people that look, if you're just a fan and you want to talk about who's boring and who's this, who's that, okay, fine, I'll give you that. Ramazan Amiv is boring, but to me, like when we're talking about betting on fights, I don't, I don't give a fuck if you hump a guy for three straight rounds. If I'm betting on you, I want you to win by all means necessary. So back in the day, I used to call Ramazan Amiv the clinch master, and I can, I even remember back in the day when he fought at 205 pounds against Sam Alvey, and I got like I think plus 100 or plus 105 odds. Just held him up against the fence for three straight rounds, got me a nice unanimous decision win. So. Got a ton of respect for Ramazan Amiv. My issue with Ramazan Amiv is he reminds me of 
another Russian fighter who I used to just love betting on all the time named Rashid Magomedov. Now, they have very different styles. You know, Rashid's more of a low-volume striker, but a very pinpoint striker. I mean, we're talking about a guy who even beat Gilbert Burns back in the day, and you used to be able to just bet on this guy every day, every time, and it would be money. But uh, but eventually he started slowing down and it wasn't the guy you once remembered. And I think similar things are happening here with Ramazan Amiv. Like, I know he's still winning fights these days, but man, these last few performances, I haven't been seeing what I once saw. The dominance isn't quite there. The Anthony Rocco Martin fight, I feel, was like the start of that. You know, he's starting to get exposed a little bit. I've never really seen this guy get in some deep submission attempts where he's had to fight out. Even the Niklas Stoltz fight, Niklas, I believe, landed a nice knee, even had a guillotine attempt himself. The Zawada fight was back and forth. The Danny Roberts fight, although many call it a robbery, a few years ago, it wouldn't have been in territory to be a robbery. Now, with this kid, Jack de la Madalena, I mean, you got to respect the clean hands. You got to respect the volume. And I want to take it a step further. And I respect his toughness a lot because you go and you look at a fight between him on a contender series and uh, against Andre Lusa. Now, someone let me know what kind of belt in jujitsu Lusa. It might be a black belt, maybe not. I don't know. But there was a sequence where Lusa got on top of Madalena and he had him in what seemed to be a locked-in arm triangle choke. Now, listen, I'm no black belt, but I am a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, and I know for a fact that... Congratulations, by the way. That's that's a very cool feat. I appreciate that, my friend. It, it feels amazing. But now literally everybody wants a piece of me, and like I can't turn down anyone at all anymore. <laughs> Even the 250-pound the 250 250 guys, the D1 football players, like I can't say no anymore. They so, But... I show up every day, so I'm ready. But this ain't about me. The the point I was trying to make up here, or trying the point I was trying to bring to the table here, was that in that locked up arm triangle. Listen, if that was Melvin Gillard in that, in that locked up triangle, he's tapping right away. But the fact that uh, Jack De La Madalena, look, he might not be a grappler per se, but I know for a fact he's out there training. He's I, he, I know he's putting his gi on. The fact that he had the wherewithal to stay calm in a spot like that, create the littlest of openings and escape that, like that, that speaks volumes to me. A lot of people might view it as, well, shit, uh, he got into a spot like that. And to your credit, like we were talking about earlier in the Jiri fights, you know, what happens if a better guy gets him there? And 100%, that's 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 very, very valid to bring up. But just the fact, I, I just felt like it was a step in the right direction. I, I just felt like, hey, like, if you got not only the heart and the toughness, because there's that threshold, there's something between knowing, you know, is it just pain? Or am I actually going to go to sleep, right? You know that for a fact. You've trained jiu-jitsu. You're, you're a blue belt, I believe, yourself. So the fact that he was able to distinguish the difference, because I know for a fact that squeeze hurt. I know for a fact that was uncomfortable. I know for a fact that, especially with the bright lights on, that there was an opportunity. Look, if you would have tapped out and went home, no one, no one would have held it against him. It, it wasn't like he was about to tap to something that wasn't locked in. Like that shit, look pretty it might have been it might have not been a damian maya arm triangle where it doesn't matter what you think you're going to sleep right away but it was decently applied enough to the point where like 
you know, um, De-, De La Madalena was was tested and had to show that hey, he's been putting his putting in his work on the mats, and he's taken all aspects of MMA seriously. So, I really respected the fact that he was able to get out of that. And when he did get out of that, he wasn't <sighs> he wasn't gassed as hell. He wasn't discouraged, and it wasn't a thing where oh, one more takedown, and, and this time you're gonna get it. He gets back up to the feet, and this guy's out here landing some serious volume. So I do think he's a he's a decent prospect. It's just Ramazan Amiv. This is a step up in competition, but I have kind of seen a bit of not a huge decline. I mean, we're not talking about getting dropped with jabs. We're not talking about anything crazy. I just don't see the same kind of dominance that I saw once before from Ramazan Amiv. So that's what makes this fight really intriguing to me because I think the guys that have been able to have more success on Ramazan Amiv are the guys that can kind of outwork him. Like, for example, the last fight against Danny Hot Chocolate, controversial or not, I understand why he lost that fight. And the reason why is because Danny kind of outworked him. Danny kind of out-hustled him. Danny might have gotten taken down and laid on at spots, but when it was Danny's turn to get back up, he had that max effort. He he really, really tried. And I think that if De La Madalena, as long as he doesn't get submitted, which Ramazan Amiv's never finished a fight inside the UFC's octagon and doesn't get laid on for five minutes at a time, I think that he can create that space, get back up to the feet. And from there, I think the volume difference will be quite apparent. It's just the odds is what's kind of getting me here. You know, if you got in around you know the 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 pickum price that it kind of opened at okay that's one thing but now we're dealing with minus 150 minus 160 that's where i kind of view it as a pass maybe even a dogger pass if you still think amiv's got a little bit left in the tank can kind of grind this one out maybe go with amiv it's just you got to understand that Amiv's path to victory, you, you you know exactly what Amiv's going to do. He's not throwing any curveballs here. He's going to pin you up against the fence. He's going to kill that clock. He's going to get that opportunistic takedown and get that top control, but that's the extent of it. Amiv's not going to come out here and outbox this guy. Amiv's not going to knock this guy out, and I highly doubt Amiv submits this guy either. So it's about are they going to favor the controlling times of Amiv or are they going to favor the volume and the output of Jack de la Madalena. Well, that was a very thorough breakdown. And I mean, I think it's very fair to pick Madalena here. I just, I don't think you should be betting on him at his current price. And it's for the reasons you already said, it's just, I cannot watch the contender series fight and, and be confident that he's not going to get out grappled by Eve. Like, yeah, he, he is tough, but there's a thing like with jujitsu, like the chokes either are applied or it's not like, if I like, if I have, if I have a, depending on the choke, but like, especially arm triangles, like if you have it locked in, you're, you're usually going to finish it, but, a, but it's very tricky to lock in. And sometimes people just don't like my neck is pretty small. So like people get me in arm triangles. I just stick my thumb under their bicep over the, the artery and I can just kind of lay there. It, the problem for me with Madalena is that he gave up a takedown. He looked to play guard. He didn't look to scramble up. He got his guard passed. He got uh, theoretically locked in a, in a deep submission attempt. And yes, then he escaped. But if Lusa could do that, you have to assume that other grapplers and better grapplers can do that as well. And I 
am not very confident in Emiev as a, as a talent anymore. He is too passive for me. He doesn't land strikes at a high rate. His wrestling is still even somewhat questionable. He doesn't really have much finishing ability. So I absolutely believe even when Emiev, let's say, takes him down, controls him for three and a half minutes of a round, Madalena gets back up, starts firing off punches. Still think half the audience and half the judges are going to be like, oh, he jabbed him there and, and Emiev didn't do anything. So that's one round to zero in favor of Madalena. I could easily see that being the case. I could easily see every single MMA journalist on the planet writing a damn monologue about how uh, one jab to zero is m- more damage and therefore deserves the rounds on the judges' scorecards. That it's Madalena has the, the volume, the pressure, uh, just the fact that he's going to go out there looking to try and box Emiev's head, heads off is going to give him an is going to give him an advantage. But he's also shown weaknesses on the ground, and and Emiev is very skilled in that area. He lands takedowns consistently. He's a, a decent control grappler, and I am not at all confident that if Madalena gets taken down, that he's not just going to once again try and play guard, get his guard passed get put in a submission attempt um the other aspect is even when the fight plays out on the feet emiv defends strikes very very well he's absorbing 2.0 per minute 66 percent defense he's not out it's not like if you box with emiv it's not like he's oh my god you just got to land on this guy once and he's dead just no no defense whatsoever he's limiting exchanges to the point where his control grappling swings rounds for him. So um, both sides can win. I think Madeleine is a clear path to victory. Keep the fight standing. Even if he gets taken down, just try and get back up as quickly as possible. Pressure, throw more volume, land a, a few more effective strikes. But we have the visuals on how he defends when he gets taken down. And they're not typical visuals for my liking that tell me that he's going to excel against better competition. And Emiev is absolutely better competition, the best grappler this guy's ever faced in his career. And so I think you have to project Emiev for takedowns. You have to project him for control. Is that going to be enough to convince the judges? I'm not totally sure, um, but it's very possible. And it's, it's enough to sway me off the betting line of, of Madalena for sure. I'm not dying to bet Emiv either, but if you want an official pick, I'll I'll give you the official pick on Emiv just because I need to see I need to see guys defend takedowns better, scramble up to their feet, not play guard, not get their guard passed in order to pick. I need to see Madeleine win this fight in order to pick him to win this fight. Fair enough. I mean, there's a lot of question marks on both sides in this fight, but we do overall know the dynamic of why one will or won't win this fight. So, because I mean, I'm going to be shocked if it's a one hitter quitter from Amiv, just like I'm going to be shocked if Madalena comes out here and pushes Amiv up against the fence, you know, clinch masters him, takes him down, grinds him, submits him. Like, like we understand the dynamic here. So, just about what's going to happen. So, you're on uh, Amiv, I'm on. Madalena, none of us have a bet on this fight, so we'll see what happens. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Brendan Allen, who's 18 and 5, taking on 
Australia's. Let me let me just make sure it's Australia and not New Zealand. I don't want to fuck this up. Yeah, Australia's Jacob Malcoon, who is six and one, and currently Brett. They got it. Brendan Allen minus three hundred. The comeback on Jacob Malcoon is plus two fifty. Now look, I got to give Jacob Malcoon a shit ton of credit, man. I mean, for a guy who, let, let's be honest, man. I mean, you know, if, you know, his main training partner is Robert Whitaker. You know, if you ask them both to do a vertical jump, if you ask them both to do a 40 meter dash or who's got the fastest mile or this or that, or who's even the better fighter. I mean, you know, Robert Whitaker is uh, winning all those categories. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I, I really respect the fact that Malkoon overcompensates like his lack of athleticism with just tenacity and relentlessness and uh, if you follow him on IG, he talks about he's got that Mamba mentality. You know, shout out to the late and great Kobe. I mean, I like this guy a lot. It's just that the ceiling is going to be hit some point soon. I mean, we talk about it all the time. We love these guys that can just shoot takedown after takedown and not get discouraged. And you give me Malcoon against, uh, you know, one of the one of these strikers that gasses after a round that can't stuff takedowns. And I mean, we're going to the bank with that. It's just that Brendan Allen. I mean, so, me and you've been talking about Brendan Allen for years and, you know, some of the issues he's had in the past. And I'm not talking about the recent issues, you know, where he's gotten cocky in some of these fights. I'm talking about back in his regional scene was that his style, you know, he was a purple belt back then. But his style, you need to be a black belt to execute brendan allen style you know because he used to give up a lot of position he used to end up on his back he used to get tired but now like i see a guy who you know when he takes your back there's a chance he's finishing that fight and while i love the fact that malcoon doesn't get discouraged i love the fact that you know he's got that bryce mitchell in him he's got that you know i mean i don't want to compare him to to you know these great russian fighters that do that do similar styles but all i'm trying to say is this guy will go out there and attempt 10 takedowns and that's something i love look what what this should tell you is and it's something that i've been trying to preach for years is that it's it's less about the technique you just need guys to go out there and do stuff and mo and most fighters don't do stuff they don't do anything and you can be robert whitaker's younger brother and a low-level regional talent at best, and be two and one in the UFC if you just go out there and shoot takedowns. And that's what Malcoon does. He's very, very urgent in his style, and it's been interesting because the UFC has given him three fighters in a <laughs> in a row who are dangerous knockout artists. And yeah, the first one got him. I actually picked Malcoon to to upset Phil Hawes and looked like a stone moron after that <laughs> and then he ended up beating al hassan and, and dobson in the same same fashion which i got a piece of fortunately but um you, you have yeah you absolutely have to respect malcoon and that style because it it, it 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 it's a way to win fights it forces your opponents to react it neutralizes an area that they excel at generally on the feet and the difference, which you didn't really get into Allen enough, is Allen doesn't lose in this way, really. I mean, he defends, he doesn't defend takedowns that well. Allen, I just don't, I don't really trust Allen's fight IQ anymore. Um, 
he's I one understand. These- sorry to cut you. I understand why he gets cocky. He forgets what his where his strengths lie. He wants to bang with guys from time to time. And it's like, dude, like, why don't we just go back to taking these guys back, choking them out, and, and doing what you're good at? Okay, like, do you think he's going to – do you think his game plan A in this fight is to strike or to wrestle? I hope the game plan is to stuff these takedowns, which is another issue in itself because Brennan Allen loves going to his back. But I hope the, the game plan here is to get reversals, to – show that I'm the dominant grappler, but you know for a fact Brendan Allen with that brain of his might think that, oh, this guy's a grappler. Well, I'm going to tune him up standing and not saying that there's a chance that can't happen. Even in the fight that he got knocked out against Sean Strickland, I, I, I thought that there were times that Brendan Allen was actually looking pretty sharp on the feet. I thought he was tagging Strickland up at times. It's just you do that with the wrong guy and you saw how it went down, but I'm not convinced that Malcoon can come out here and just break him with eight to ten takedowns. Like this ain't AJ Dobson who's got who's uh one, now the definition of a KO or bust, one rounder bust guy. Razak Al Hassan, who I love, but Razak Al Hassan, you know the deal. Even though he won the third round of his last fight, credit to him. But the data says that more often than not, the data says that all his wins are first round knockouts, Brett Apley. So it's just with Brennan Allen, look, he's been the five round distance. He's been in there with much better level competition. He's a better athlete than Jacob Malkoon. Can this style of relentlessly taking him down, is that something that can break a black belt like Brennan Allen, who does have the grappling chops necessary. It's just about the approach here. It's just about the smarts. It's about the decision-making. Like, is Brennan Allen going to do what I want him to do? No, I don't think he will. I think he's going to go out there. <laughs> I think he's going to go out there. He's going to look to strike. If he gets taken down, he's going to try and submit Malkoon off his back. He's going to do the exact same things he's he's been doing. He's attempted like four takedowns in his last thirty minutes of cage time. So, um, I don't but that, trust. But that said, but that said, okay, let's say he attempts to strike. Who's to say he's not the better striker? Furthermore, let's say he doesn't attempt takedowns. He's he's also one of those guys that will get taken down, but then create a scramble off of that. How good is Malcoon's top control to neutralize a guy like Brendan Allen and not allow him to create those scrambles to where Brendan Allen can get that dominant position and potentially a submission? Yeah, it's not good enough. I'm I'm pretty decisively picking Allen here because I think if it if it plays out on the feet, Allen, yeah, he, he could get knocked out, but you're not going to project a Malcoon knockout. I think Allen's definitely a better striker, more technical, more comfortable, probably more durable even too. He's a lot bigger than Malcoon also. And he's probably the better wrestler and grappler. So he's just, I think he's better everywhere. I think Malkoon can win in the same style of fight that he has been winning. It's just going to be so much more difficult. Like if he takes Al-Hassan down or Dobson down, they're just fighting for survival. Whereas Allen might just submit him. He might just submit him in transition. He might reverse position. Um, he could land takedowns of his own and, and submit Malkoon. Malkoon's like a brown belt, but doesn't seem to... I'd be shocked if he could submit Allen. So... Um, I favor Allen pretty much everywhere, though I do think he could get into a little bit of a trouble giving up takedowns. Um, it's just I think there's a pretty low percentage outcome that he gets taken down and held down and, and loses the decision that way. It would be it would be 
in a pretty embarrassing loss, I think. Like not because Malcoon, you know, sucks or anything. It's just Allen has the tools to win this fight, the skills to win this fight. He just there's like a very specific thing he can't do, which is give up takedowns, get held down on his back for 12 minutes. Um, and I mean, props to Malcoon if he can pull that off. But I I, I think Allen will find a way. Yeah, look, I like Malcoon. I'm going to pick him to win a lot of fights, especially against guys that are, you know, the, the the prototypical fighters that Brett Apley likes to fade. Against those, Malcoon, you know, it's a, we'll have a field day with him. But in this specific match, I don't think he has those advantages, and I'm with you, and I will take the favorite in Brendan Allen as well. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we've got a matchup between Korea's Sungwoo Choi taking on Australia's Josh Koulibau. Sungwoo Choi is 10-4. and four. Koulibau is 9-1-1. One, one. That, that, that uh, one, not the loss, but the draw came to the very, very talented Air Jordan. And currently they got it Sungwoo Choi minus 230. The comeback on Josh Koulibau is plus 190. Listen, I feel like I'm, I still don't really know much about Koulibau, man. I, I feel like I'm still kind of learning a little bit. You know, I think that he's decent everywhere. I think he's a tough guy. I liked certain things I saw in that one fight he won um, against, uh, what's his name? Shailan Nerdambek. Was that the guy he fought? Shailan? Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though he maybe got pinned up against the fence at times, even though he, he was defending a lot of takedowns, when it was his turn to land his strikes, he definitely landed them. And the Jordan fight, to drop a guy like Jordan, much respect, make it to a draw when you were the biggest underdog on the card. Look, at the least, he's a tough guy. In his debut, fought up against a massive massive not just not just size wise but hype wise prospect in Jalen Turner didn't go his way but you know it's not like he quit or anything and with uh Sung Woo Choi very talented guy and you got to give him respect I mean when your first two UFC fights when you come from the guys that he's been fighting and all of a sudden they're like here's Mosar of Loyev you know what I'm saying? Here's Gavin Tucker. Like that sink or swim at the UFC level. Did his, you know, didn't go his way. Comes back, rebounds, and even in the fight he lost against Bruce Leroy Caceres. Yes, was it a bonehead mistake he made? Yes. Did he get carried away from dropping him early? Yes. But those are the kind of things you can fix in the gym, man. Those are the kind of lessons that a young kid can learn from and, and come back better. It's not, again, it's not like he got dropped by a jab and we have to worry about his durability or or this or that. It's not like he's shooting takedowns from halfway across the room. And, you know, he did he did some things that you can you can fix along the way. So I guess the question is, is the line too wide here? And where how do you kind of view cool about because i still i'm still not sure i'm convinced he's a tough guy i mean i know that he can crack a little bit i know his takedown defense is improving i know he he trains with some good people i'm just not quite sure what the finished product is going to look like whereas i kind of have a better understanding of what sung woo Choi's game is yeah i don't have too many strong takes in this fight i don't know if the betting line is too wide or not it certainly could be but i'm not very high on Kulabau. um mostly from an athletic perspective i mean he's just not he's not a very good athlete compared to a lot of fighters in the featherweight division and he's in this particular matchup he's going against a legit physical freak in Choi. I mean, Choi is a, an amazing athlete. Um, yeah, Cole Bow can, can strike a little bit, 
that's kind of it that that's what i you know i would picture him winning competitive striking fights against low level competition that's that's kind of what i see and maybe he can randomly mix in the knockout maybe he can randomly out grapple low level competition but otherwise i don't have too much faith in him um Choi definitely has a lot more upside. I mean, Choi might even be the better grappler here. He's just so physical, uh, a, a definitely a knockout threat, but somewhat low volume, officially low volume. It's just he's had two fights against Evloev and Tucker where he really didn't have any choice but to you know get held against the cage, held on his back, and couldn't really strike. Um, but yeah, I would like to see a little bit more activity from Choi. would like to see him. I, I think he's going to – I think he's a guy who's going to stick around the UFC and like – that the fight against Caceres sucks that he lost. Hopefully it's a learning experience. I think the his early career UFC fights were learning experiences, and hopefully he can just put that in the bank and kind of make himself better moving forward to where, like, this particular matchup, what's Cole about going to do? Take him down and hold him down? I doubt it. Um, that would be that would be a bad look for Choi. If Choi lost this fight getting out grappled, that would be a very bad look. Perhaps Kulabao can knock him out, wouldn't project that outcome. Perhaps Kulabao can win very competitive striking exchanges. That's probably the, the best chance for the underdog here. But I just think you have to favor choice, physicality, his his knockout power, his technical striking. Um, you know, size-wise, he's going to be a lot bigger. So I like Choi. Mostly I'm just looking at this fight from like an athlete perspective where I don't I don't see Choi. I don't see Kolobau being amazing in any one area. I question his athleticism where he's fighting an opponent who's very good as a striker, dangerous, and a, a physical athlete, and that's enough to give me advantages for Choi. But I'm still in a, in a similar boat as you where, like, I don't yeah, I don't have the strongest takes on Kolobau. I, I, I'm willing to be proven wrong if he shows me something else that's new. And likewise with Choi, I'm willing to – to take more data into account once I see um, more fights from him. Cause you know, it's hard to take a ton away from him whooping on Suman Mokhtarian either. And he looked good against Yusuf Zalal. Uh, the, the knockout against Arosa was good. He's a dangerous guy. Does he have more than that? Can he consistently win rounds at the UFC level? Can he grapple more consistently? I, I'd like to see it, but um, this from a betting perspective, at, at least for me is a pass. It's a pass, but my pick is going to be Sung Woo Choi and also the size difference here. I'm very curious to see how apparent that is uh, when they step inside the UFC's octagon. So before we talk about this next matchup, everybody do us a huge favor. All 125 plus of you smash that like button for me. Hit the subscribe button. Truly, truly appreciate it. it means the world to me. Now, Brett Apley. Next up in the 155-pound division, we got a matchup between Steve Garcia. He's 12 and 4, welcoming the newcomer uh, Hayesair Mahishate, who is 6 and 1, representing China. And currently, they got it. Steve Garcia minus 170. The comeback on Mahishate is plus 145. Now, I don't necessarily have a strong opinion on like a bet or a pick like i'm not saying but i i have a strong opinion on one of these guys possibly not belonging at this level i'd like to hear your take first yeah i mean i think i know what your take is i i, I don't know i mean that's a true answer i have no idea this misha tate guy what, what's how do you say his name Mahesh, <laughs> Mahesh Tate. 
I, I that's what I thought. That's what his name looks like uh, just on fight metric. I, I got Misha Tate in that fight, by the way. Anyways, <laughs> keep going. Yeah, Mahashate, I mean, what, 22 years old. There's like one fight out there on him where he didn't look particularly good. I think the upside for this guy is he looks like a decent athlete. He looks like he has some power in his hands. And maybe he's some amazing grappler, but there's probably a much better chance that he's actually a horrible grappler. Um, I, I need to see more. I, I need to see more of, of Mahashate before I make any conclusions, but there have been very, very few fighters coming out of this WLF organization that have done anything. And even on the contender series, he's rocked a couple times early. He's what landed 48 significant strikes in 15 minutes, no grappling to speak of no submissions on his, his regional record. So um, I'm going to assume this guy has a chance to develop into something or at this current stage, maybe land a couple power shots and that's it. Steve Garcia. God, I mean, he beat Charlie Ontiveros, but he got hurt himself a couple times, like good for him for wrestling Ontiveros, but it was only the fight prior to that where he got controlled for 14 minutes in a 15 minute fight by Luis Pena on the ground. Um, I don't think Steve Garcia is very good, but I'm going to pick him because I've seen him land takedowns before, and that's a potential path to victory. And I've seen him throw strikes in volume before, and he has a win over Ronnie Lawrence on the regional scene. And he has like a split against Ricky Tercios. And like, that's a horrible way to cap a fight, but there's so little information here that I'm going to take the fighter who I know is actually fought against decent competition and beat decent competition. Yeah. And can like do things. Whereas I'm not really sure that Mahashate can even do things, you know, but I, I, I do like that. I, I'll never count anyone out. I do like the athleticism from Mahashate. So young, you never, you, you got to hope they're improving fight to fight power we just saw garcia get hurt badly a couple times by ontiveros if mahashate goes out there and stuns him early i won't be shocked but other than that i guess you got to favor garcia and garcia might just dog walk this kid too <laughs> you know i'm one of these guys and i know people give me a lot of shit for it that i don't often disagree with dana white like i i kind of try to see the reasoning behind things i think people just blindly hate on on him for the sake of hating on him but i usually like see some of the logic and some of his decisions I, this is one of those spots i disagree with and i was shocked that this kid Mahashat they got signed to the ufc i mean i get it you're trying to develop the scene in that region of the world so maybe that's why but like a six and one fighter like you're getting rocked by another dude that has zero business in the ufc yeah you can give him credit he's tough he overcame it but guy he this should have been a spot where he's like listen kid like we'll go back to the regional scene we'll revisit it in a couple of years you know see uh your improvements and then give you another shot he should be in lfa right now and that fight by Mahashate on Contender Series, I mean, he was getting dropped and wobbled all over the place. And I'll talk about the Steve Garcia fight here in a second. But 
he wasn't getting dropped and wobbled all over the place by unorthodox strikes like axe kicks, which you don't often see by other people. It was just by traditional punches. And it, it, I, I was just like, by wow. a fighter who was very, very aggressive, though, I will say. And sometimes that aggression alone is just, you know, someone's blitzing you and throwing power punches. Some, sometimes you do get caught. That would be the only counterpoint that I would have to that. Yeah. Uh, so, but on the Steve Garcia fight, people give him shit for getting, you know, hurt early by Ontiveros. But like, look, this is let me let me say a little something about that. Does Ontiveros belong in the UFC? No. But this is what I'll give him credit for. Ontiveros was out there throwing fucking fast axe kicks and kicks that you just don't see by a lot of people. And to take it a step further. Ontiveros fought Jeff Neal. Ontiveros dropped Jeff Neal. If Ante, if Jeff Neal and Kevin Holland both decide that it's better to take this guy down than to stand with him, then I don't know why I'd hold it against Steve Garcia to take this guy down. I mean, like I said, that Ontiveros dude, yeah, he's not. It might not be the toughest for UFC standards. You take him down one time, the fight's over. But like. He's still a dude that dropped Jeff Neal. He's still a dude that Kevin Holland decided his best path to victory was to take him down. So, again, if Jeff Neal and Kevin Holland think the best way to beat this guy is to take him down, then I ain't holding it against Steve Garcia for taking him down. Furthermore, Steve Garcia, when you talk about not only does he have, what, two to three times the experience of Mahishate, we're talking about a guy who's beat legit UFC competition. This is a guy that beat Ronnie Lawrence. Now, that fight was at 135 pounds. And this fight's at 155 pounds, so you could bring up the weight class, but it's not like Steve Garcia weighed 155 and he beat Ronnie at 35s. Steve weighed 135 for that fight, too, or might have missed weight. Okay, he weighed 137, and, and Ronnie weighed 135. He beat a legit guy, a legit talent, and I guess the weight cuts were getting too much for him, so he moved up to 155 pounds. I just think. And even bringing up the Luis Pena fight, I think Luis Pena would give this kid Mahashate a tour of the octagon, man. I just think it's a different caliber, man. And the the only concern I have is, once again, Singapore is closer to China than it is to the United States. Uh, I don't think Mahashate is going to be dealing with too much jet lag, whereas Steve Garcia, I know they didn't fly Steve Garcia out two weeks in advance. I know they didn't give him the right time to acclimate. I know that Steve Garcia probably arrived on Tuesday. He's probably jet lagged out of his mind. So, And the judges. So those are my only concerns for Steve Garcia losing. Jet lag and judges. Other than that, man, I think he's going to come out here, teach this kid, I want to say a vet lesson, even though Garcia is only one, only like what one and one in the UFC, but like experience wise, it's just on a different level. I, I'm I'm shocked, minus the the fact that they're trying to build up this region of the world that this kid got signed to the UFC. I think he should be an LFA. I think he should even be on that road to UFC thing they're doing right now. I, I don't think this guy belongs right now. And look, I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong many times again. So if he comes out here and starts with Steve Garcia. You know, you guys can make that clip, make me look like an idiot. It is what it is. But uh, I got Steve Garcia to come out here and, you know, give this guy a first-class ticket and a tour of the octagon and show him what's what, you know, at the UFC level. I don't think Mahashate belongs. Yeah, that's a fair take. I mean, just to play devil's advocate, I would say the reasons to not think that way would just be because I don't think Garcia is very good, you know. That, that's why I brought up the, the, the fight against Pena. It's not like, well, we have a, a, 
fighter who's not good in Mahashate versus a real talent here in Garcia. Garcia is probably not hanging around the UFC for very long. That and perhaps we're being misled by the contender series fight. It's such a small sample there. Not enough happens like to where he could just look different. He could just look better. So those would be the two things that I would say. But like generally, I think your take is strong and I would pick Garcia to win as well. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be fun for, for, for the cup first couple of minutes. And then after that, I think you probably favor Garcia considerably. And I hear the argument about, well, Mahashate is only at, he's had less than 10 pro fights. You guys always hear me talk about these kids with less than 10 pro fights. You're going to be seeing these big leaps every single time, but you got to give someone a chance to develop and a chance to develop is the regional scene. You don't give them a chance to develop in the UFC where he's just thrown to the, I want to say thrown to the wolves. Look, Steve Garcia is a one and one guy, but Steve Garcia has got goddamn 16 pro fights, man. Like it's just, he's beating real guys. It's, it's just different. So, my only concern, like I said, is either jet lag or a judge's screw job. Aside from that, I, I think that Steve Garcia teaches this kid a lesson. So we'll see. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Australia's own Jake Matthews. He's 17 and 5, taking on Andre Fialio, who is 16 and 4, representing Portugal. We got two guys from Portugal on the card. Maybe they should do an open weight mount, but open weight, open weight bout between Fialio and Manel Cap. <laughs> And currently, they got it. Andre Fialio, minus 150. The comeback on Jake Matthews is plus 130. So I know Brett Apley with the, you know, your first round KO or bust kind of guys. I get that. And I see a lot of people on Jake Matthews here. But, man, Jake Matthews is not trustworthy. I mean, I've been seeing Jake Matthews fight since he was 19 all the way to now as a grown-ass man. And maybe he's gotten physically bigger. You know, he's matured. He's gotten better a little bit. But certain things are still there. You put him in a bad spot and... You know, yeah, he's a tougher guy than I am, but like I, at the UFC level, I just don't think that he's good at overcoming adversity. I think he had an anomaly performance against Li Jing Liang. Aside from that, I haven't really seen much from him. And um, look, he's a big, strong guy, but leaves openings for that left hook, which is Andre Fialio's money punch. And Andre Fialio is a guy who's paid his dues as well. I mean, I remember seeing him fight in Bellator, and he's a guy who. You know, actually, you know, Chidi Njikwani stopped him in like 20 seconds and to overcome a brutal KO like that and to make it all the way back to the U to make it to the UFC, have that great fight with Michelle Pereira and with in that first round, some of those shots that Pereira ate, I'm not convinced some of these other guys can eat. And then the next two were first round KO. So is he really first round KO or bust was the last one? I mean, excuse me, the first one against Michelle on short notice. And that's why kind of gassed out in the second and third. Um, so I'm curious about that. And I know people are taking Jake, but I think they're overconfident on Jake. I think that, again, Jake can be broken in fights. Like, Jake, I don't like Jake's training situation. Still with his dad. Like, uh, And, look, I, I'm a family guy. I love my family, too. But, like, you know, you know the whole quote about, you know, doing the same shit and expecting different results? I mean, I just don't, I just don't see it. I just don't think Jake Matthews has got it, despite the fact that he's stuck around in the UFC for this long. So... I think Fialio actually comes out here and is not the first man to stop him, but the first man to knock him out. Because um, even in some of these other losses, like the James Vick one, uh, he got rocked with a flying knee and then shot a desperate takedown and got choked out. The Kevin Lee one got pounded out with back mount. Um, the Tony 
the Tony Martin fight shot, a sloppy shot, got caught with a dar. So guy's been finished plenty of times. He's broken in fights that he that he's lost decisions in. I, I see Fialio winning this fight. Not crazy about the price, obviously. A lot of recency bias with how Fialio's been performing lately. I get that, but I think this is one he gets past. And later on down the line, once he fights someone more trustworthy, then we can talk about fading him again. Yeah, I'm going to pick Matthews. Um, I, I definitely am not confident in it, but I am pretty confident that Fiala is being overvalued just generally because he's coming off a couple of first round knockout victories. I mean, if you, he has cardio problems, he doesn't perform well down the stretch in fights. Anytime that I've seen him, I've seen him out grapple people land takedowns of his own and have success. But when he gets taken down, I mean, he's on his side curled up. He, the combination of, of, of questionable cardio and questionable defensive grappling against an opponent who will grapple you is scary. And I think Fiala's a, a, an excellent striker, even coming into the U, even coming into his UFC debut. I was like, I, I like Fialo. I think he could maybe even shock Pereira, especially early in the fight. He's, you know, hand speed is there. Technique is there. He's got power in his hands. But unless he's winning by early knockout, his chances of success go down dramatically. And maybe he just goes out there and knocks Jake Matthews out. I don't even think that's that crazy of an outcome. Matthews has been hurt before. Like you said, Fialo's got pop. It's just... I mean, Fialo gets rocked a lot too, even in that last fight against uh, Van Camp, which I just watched the other day because I didn't get to see it live. Fialo was kind of hurt, I mean, before he won by knockout. And and Matthews has some sneaky power. And you're correct to bring up the family. You're correct to bring up the IQ. It's possible Jake Matthews doesn't even go out there and try and grapple, which would be idiotic, but it's... I think within the range of outcomes, if he survives the early exchanges, he should win this fight. I mean, he, he he should attempt takedowns at a high enough rate where he should have some success. I would have to project Fialo to slow down, and the combination of those two things could lead to dominant rounds for Matthews down the stretch, just like it could lead to a dominant round for Fialo early. So um, I don't mind picking Fialo to win. I don't think picking Fialo to win by KO is crazy. But personally, I would be shying away from his betting line. I think knocking out Baeza and Van Camp in round one don't really mean much to me in terms of having 15-minute cardio, uh, defending takedowns against Jake Matthews, who, despite having questionable fight IQ, is a decent grappler. And, I mean, he, he showed us that against Jing Liang. He showed us that against other opponents as well. It's just a lack of consistency. So could the lack of consistency cause him to fight in a certain way that puts Fialo in a good spot to win? Yes. But I don't mind the shot on Matthews. I, I'll just pick Matthews outright. Um, as long as he gets through the first few minutes and isn't horribly hurt, I just trust him a little bit more over 15 minutes. But um, yeah, I think it's a fun fight. I, both sides are our opinions are fair and should be a good one. 
Three more fights to go. Everybody smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button because next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Korea's Hyung Ho Kang. He's 17-9, and nine, and he's taking on Mongolia's Dana Batgari, who was 12-3. and three. Currently, they got it. Dana Batgari, minus 135. The comeback on Kyung Ho Kang is plus 115. I have a feeling I know who Brett Apley's picking here. This is another... Typical Brett Apley well, did fight. Did you just hear my uh, my analysis on the Matthews Fiala fight? Because this one is pretty damn similar. Yeah, we know who's he's picking here. Um, I mean, we know you, why you're, we know why he's picking Kyung Ho Kang here. And listen, Kyung Ho Kang's a badass man. I mean, Kyung Ho Kang's a guy that I've been watching since fucking what 2011. I mean, the guy has scrambling abilities on point. He's a badass. His name is Mister Perfect for a reason. He's a stud. I like him. Let me just check something. How old is my boy at this point? Because he's been fighting for a long motherfucking time. He's been fighting. He's, he's 34, huh? He's actually younger than I expected. 34. I, I was thinking he was getting up there. Um, He's got a long career, man. I mean, we're talking about a guy with uh, 26 profiles that we know of. Sometimes, sometimes even more. Scrambling abilities on point. Not half bad on the feet. Deny back Gary. I mean... Sometimes the looks that some of these guys give when he cracks them, you're like, God damn. And even in that fight against Chris Gutierrez, he won the first round. I thought he was doing really good. Got caught with a disgusting spinning back fist. Shit happens. It wasn't too long ago. How's he going to recover from that? I don't put much stock into that. I've seen guys get floored and then come back a month later and win. Example, uh, Frankie Edgar got knocked out by Brian Ortega, came back a month later, beat Cub Swanson. So... You know, I know people like to throw out the narrative. Oh, he just got knocked out. He hasn't taken the right amount of time. I mean, he wasn't out stiff. I mean, he definitely got clipped. He got rocked, no doubt about it. But I don't, that really has no factor in my mind. What has a factor in my mind is what happens past the first round. Historically speaking, the knockback area does not do as good past the first round. That being said, how does Kyung Ho Kang react to, I'd say by now, one of the heaviest, or at least one of the heaviest underrated hitters? in the Bantamweight division. Because when you think about the heavy hitters, I mean, like, there's the Cheeto Veras who can take off an entire round and then just make you look like a murder scene <laughs> at the end of rounds. Uh, there's the, even his opponent, Rob Fon. I mean, he catches you with some good stuff. He's putting you down. I don't think I don't think Denabat Gary's on that level, but I think for some of these unranked guys, I mean, you saw the way, you saw the look Brandon uh, Davis had in his eyes when he got cracked by uh, Denabat Gary. This guy can crack. I'm just curious to see how Kyung Ho Kang reacts to that. Now, Kyung Ho Kang eats that fine, starts racking up the takedowns, starts creating some opportunistic scrambles, can take the second and third round here. Even though that last fight, he lost the second and third. Granted, completely different matchup. Hanayaya, one of the best grapplers in the history of the Bantamweight division. Completely different match. I don't expect Denabat Gary to be wrestling here. But Denabat Gary throws concussive blows. And for a Bantamweight, I mean, uh, he can he can put dudes out. So which which is it going to be, Brett? I mean, I know why. Like, I, I already know your pick without you even saying it. Just because of your process. Just because of just I know Brett Apley. But what kind of chance do you give the knockback Gary to actually not not met, not necessarily get a knockout, but maybe land fight compromising shots that can sway rounds for him? I, I mean, I give him a decent chance. I don't project Kang as a heavy favorite by any stretch. I think the the, the good thing about Bat Gorilla is that he'll like 
he swings for the knockout. Like, you know, like Rob Font doesn't really do that. And I would argue Chito Vera doesn't really do that. Like Becquerel's out there trying to kill you. And when he lands, he's going to have success. And Kang is a very physical grappler and a good submission grappler, a good scrambler, wrestler, etc. His fight IQ isn't the best either. He will go out there and strike with guys when he should grapple. Example A, Taruto Ishihara, who dropped him. Um, he will go out there and grapple with opponents when he should strike. Example A, Haniyaya. And, like, in my mind, there's a chance Kang's out here looking to box. I, I think eventually he'll strike, and I think the pressure of Batgirl is going to force him to grapple. But he's Kang is not a fighter who... Kang's a fighter who I trust in his grappling-based skill set, not a fighter who I trust in his game planning and fight IQ. So that alone, plus the concussive power of Batgirl, definitely gives Batgirl a shot. And even if this was just a pure kickboxing fight for 15 minutes, I'm favoring Batgirl because Kang doesn't really throw strikes at a high rate. Averaging 2.5 per minute, that's very, very low. Batgirl... His metrics are a little bit skewed based on his fight history, but I, I would project him to land strikes at a higher rate, be a little bit more effective over 15 minutes, even if he slows down. It's just that he didn't look particularly good against Alatang Hali. He gave up takedowns. He tried to play guard. He got held down for a while, and Kang is a very, very good grappler who probably should land takedowns here when he does, probably should control back row probably should take his back potentially even submit him um if i'm picking a side i'm picking kong i i think it's a fight that he should win but there's certainly areas where he's vulnerable especially early in the fight and um it's not a case where i'd be counting out back row at all it's just it's just unless he can go out there and hurt kong early I expect he'll slow down, give up takedowns, and lose. I mean, your reasoning is 100% sound here. I I don't know, man. It's like, deny back Gary that power is a game changer. How does he do past the first round? I love, I've always loved the scrambling ability of Kyung Ho Kang, but he's had such a long career at some time. At some point, he's got to slow down. I have no idea. I'm not going to bet on this fight. Pure pick. I'll just go with the not back Gary. Um, and let's see what happens. But guys, don't don't tail me on that. Don't. Well, there's nothing to a tail. I'm not betting that fight. But yeah. So let's see. And then these last two, I really don't know much to say. I mean, strawweight division: Silvana Gomez Juarez, ten and four, representing Argentina. Which much respect. You know, I love my Argentines. Taking on Na Liang, representing China, who's nineteen and, and five. Currently, they got it. Silvana Gomez Juarez minus one thirty-five. The comeback on Nali Yang is one fifteen plus one fifteen. This is the first time I've seen someone who's gotten finished in the first round twice in a row be a favorite in their third UFC fight, let alone get a third UFC fight. Um, but we know the dynamic here on the feet. Silvana definitely, I'd say, has the sharper hands. And but I mean, what happens if Nali Yang takes her back one time? I mean, is it tap tap city? Like, uh, what are we thinking here, Brad Apley? Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually I thought Naviang looked like great against Carnalossi while while she had the cardio, and then she just horribly gassed out at the end of that first round. And I kind of used some of that footage for Carnalossi to be like, "Wow, look at how she dealt with this girl, who I think is a good wrestler. I think she can kind of defend 
Lupi Godinez, and then she got steamrolled by Godinez. So now I'm like, damn, like it's Liang like bad, but um, Gomez Juarez is bad <laughs> too. No offense. Yeah, no, she is, and I don't know if Naliang's won a fight outside of round one, maybe one, but she doesn't win extended fights, and her striking defense is non-existent, and that basically tells me that if she doesn't win this fight early, she's likely to tire out, likely to get outstruck, potentially hurt, potentially knocked out, and I think... Liang definitely can take her down early. She's a, I think she's a very good and physical wrestler. I liked her control. I liked her submission grappling potential. And based on what we've seen from Silvana Gomez Juarez defensively, you can't be surprised if Liang gets a, an early submission, um, even an early armbar, because it's been two armbars in a row for Juarez. That's not coincidental. That's someone not having a full, a fundamental understanding of how to defend an armbar. Early on, I, I, I do favor Liang, but I just worry that there's like a really small window for her to jump through. And if she doesn't get that early finish, you know, she's going to tire out and 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 lose. So I, I have no idea. I think it's fine. If I was going to bet a side, it would be the underdog here. Um, just because I project her to have success early and I like grapplers, but I'm really not at all confident and wouldn't be surprised if Gomez Juarez knocks her out or uh outstrikes her to a decision hey sorry my main camera went out so we got my my backup cam here all, i was trying to i was trying to i gave a couple extra sentences there just in case you uh weren't going to be coming back anytime soon but <laughs> no i ain't gonna leave you hanging on my own show so guys uh who'd you go with i didn't give it i'll pick liang but i i i'm not confident at all I have no fucking idea. I just I just can't get past someone who got finished in the first round twice being a favorite in a UFC fight, let alone Na Liang. She wants to use her grappling in this fight. She's also in Asia here. It's a close fight. The judge is going to lean towards her. But at the same time, um, if she can't get that grappling going, I do think Juarez does have some advantages standing. I think that Juarez might be able to come out here, uh, pick her apart a, a little bit. So I don't fucking know, man. So if I don't fucking know, I'll go with the dog, Liang. But I've seen some confidence on... I've seen people be confident on on Gomez Juarez. And I guess if there's no takedowns involved, then I understand that confidence. Aside from that, can't quite say I do, Brett Apley. So... We'll, we will just leave it at that. I, I'm going to be staying away, and I wish anybody on the, on that fight good luck. And last but not least, another one I don't have much to say about in the featherweight division. We got Jocelyn Edwards. She's 10-4 and four, representing Panama, taking on Ramona Pasquel, who is 6-3, and three, rec representing Hong Kong. So an, another case. You got someone from closer to Singapore than the other person. Um, and I think we know the dynamic here. Jocelyn Edwards, pretty decent kickboxer. Uh, and interestingly enough, moving up to 145 pounds, been taken down a shitload. I'm sure you know the exact number in the UFC. And Ramona Pasquale, uh, things certainly didn't go her way uh, in the UFC debut, to be exact. But at least she hit three takedowns. So the question here is, get these takedowns and... 
you know, because people are going to bring up that she hit takedowns. Well, she hit takedowns her last fight, too, and lost. Can she hit the takedowns here and maintain that top control? Or is it a case where, you know, on the feet, Jocelyn Edwards is going to pick her apart? I'm low-key going to go with Jocelyn Edwards here. I think that she will score enough points standing to where it kind of overrides those takedowns, but you can't be confident laying chalk on uh, on Jocelyn Edwards. And if I if I didn't mention the price, it's minus 160 Edwards, plus 140 Pasquale. So I would actually view this as a dog or pass situation, but my official pick will be Jocelyn Edwards to get the win. Yeah, this is the rare spot where I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to be on the striker. I just, I don't think Pasquale is good at all, even as a wrestler. And like, she could still go out there and land three takedowns and, and win this fight because Edwards has proven that she can't defend takedowns. She doesn't get up off her back very well. So if Pasquale can out wrestle her, then that's not going to be a surprise. I just, I think Edwards is levels ahead of her as a striker. And Pasquale has no defense. Like, when you're, when the way for you to land takedowns is to like run at someone like this, you're just, you're so, so vulnerable defensively. And she are, she just got dropped twice in her, in her last fight. And it's the striking defense plus like her balance seems totally off. Like she just, and I don't want to be rude. I just feel like she's a very low level talent and a very low level athlete. She could still win this fight because she might be the better wrestler, but I think Edwards has a legit has a legit chance to like knock her out or even submit her. Like even if Pasquale lands a takedown, I, I could see Edwards locking up an armbar. That would be very women's MMA. Um, so yeah, hard to be very confident, but um, despite showing grappling weaknesses, I think. Edwards is so much more dangerous as a striker that I have to pick her. Well, Brett, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night live in Singapore for everyone wondering. It's actually at the normal times for the pay-per-views because I know often it's overseas. For example, the San Hagen versus Piotr Yan fight, which was a pay-per-view, actually was like on in the day, but this one is going to be at the normal pay-per-view start time. Y'all got nothing to worry about. Uh, Brett, Thank you so much for joining me right here, right now on Half the Battle. You know, the kind of respect I have for you, the kind of regard I hold you in, not to mention you are my good friends. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor having you on here, and I just love talking fights with you, man. Likewise, man. I appreciate uh, the invite. It's always good talking with you when I have time. You know, you're one of the good guys in the industry, so uh, make sure you smash that like button, subscribe to the channel here, make sure you follow Dan Levy on Twitter. Um and yeah, man, hopefully we can do this uh, again sometime soon. Absolutely. And if you all want to check him out, it's at, at Brett Appley on Twitter and then also his his site, dailyfanmma.com. I said that right? Dailyfanmma.com. Yeah. Fucking unbelievable source of knowledge. I mean, you guys just got to go take a look. I'd say use code uh, BATTLE for 10% off, but we actually didn't talk about that before the fact. But basically, like, for all your daily fantasy sports needs end of MMA, like, he's got oh. you covered. And I will I will set that just because you mentioned it. I will set it I will set it up right after the show. What do you want the code to be? BATTLE? Yeah, use code BATTLE for 10% off on dailyfanmma.com. Like, dude, I'm... And I don't just say this like because he's my friend, like it's a wealth of knowledge and all the tools you need 
to to hit the big scores in in the in draft or other in prize picks as well mac uh subscribers have won over a million dollars so like definitely hit them up no bullshit no scam check them out use the code battle for 10 percent off dailyfanmma.com thank you again time all the fans you guys so much for all your support it truly means the world to me please smash that like button hit the subscribe button share comment retweet all those little things you guys do mean the world to me and it helps the channel grow uh exponentially and incrementally so guys thank you again everything you can follow me on twitter at best fight picks you can subscribe to half the battle on itunes soundcloud youtube stitcher spotify all the places where podcasts are available i'll be back next week for the next card so guys thank you again and until then let's cash these bets